Anyway, welcome to the Real Opinions podcast, which always opens with behind-the-scenes discussions now. No, you got to you got to introduce it as backstory scripts. Okay, welcome to backstory scripts, which also starts with post with behind-the-scenes <laughs> discussions. So, um, this is backstory scripts, which, in case you've never listened to one before, is where we talk about scripts that either never made it to the screen, were heavily changed, or became the basis for something else that kind of took certain ideas from the scripts but became a new thing. So these are scripts that never made it to the screen or either made it to the screen in a very altered way. And today we're talking about, oh God, Carrie Fukuyanga? Fukuyanga? I don't know. The True Detective Man's script for It, which he is still credited in some capacity for the new film. But his script is not the version that we're going to be seeing in the new film that comes out in September. So we thought we'd take a look at that and just talk about what we liked, what we didn't like, and how it compares to the other version of it that it came in the 80s. So this went through quite a lengthy pre-production period, as far as I can tell. It's reported that he actually only dropped out three weeks prior to shooting. Uh, I've heard sort of mixed reports on that. But it is that like, people have said they've already spent quite a lot of money on the production design ideas that he had and everything. So they've sort of heavily invested and then cut him off quite close to the line of actually going in to make the film. He worked on this version for about two years with Warner Brothers, from what I can tell. Um, and the, the plan was to, much like the older film from the 80s, the TV movie, uh, they're going to split it up into two parts. One focusing on the kids and one focusing on when they've grown up. So it was going to be two parts. The book is 1,200 pages. So it is actually one of the cases where splitting it makes some sense. Like, you know, with with things like The Hunger Games now, people split for money. But in this case, it's fucking long. So, like we said, about three three weeks prior to shooting, he was pulled out. And originally, um, they said that this was to do with production and budgetary concerns. The first film was set to cost around $30 million, which they didn't want to do. Um, but eventually, along the line, they kind of uh, revealed that it that was a that was a PR kind of cover-up. Like, oh, it's because of budget. Um, but it turned out it was because of creative differences, as it always is. I mean, it doesn't. the budget thing doesn't make sense if they'd already spent most of it, you know, on the pre-production and on the, on the setting up his production design and everything. But anyway, it turned out that it was because... He wanted to do a darker, and I'm using quotation marks here, more character-driven version that was kind of half based on Stephen King's novel and half based on his own childhood and on personal recollections. So he said he wanted to do something that elevated the horror film with actual characters instead of cliche stock people. And the studio, on the other hand, wanted him to make something that was inoffensive and conventional and that would appeal to a mainstream audience. And it sounds like he was quite stubborn. He didn't want to back down. And so somewhere along the line, he got replaced and the script was altered. Now, you have said that this isn't actually even the final version of the script that we're going to be going through today. Yeah, so the one that we're doing this entire video on is from 2014. So it's it's not the most recent by far, but this is the script that's been leaked online. We did that podcast where we talked about how the script leak, and you said about how it was due to sexual scenes that the that mm-hmm. he was originally cut off. And when I was reading this at first, I thought they're like, "There's some darker stuff later on that we'll yeah. get into." 
but there was nothing that screamed like there was nothing that said to me this is too risky for a studio to do mm-hmm. i agree i was yeah. thinking constantly when is it going to get too dark yeah for whatever rating they were going for however now since looking up this version of the script that we've got yeah it's it's found that it's basically not it's it's not near the final one and all this information mm-hmm. has come from interestingly it's from an online forum where it's basically just parents of ch- child actors mm-hmm. and so obviously it's kind of like a private community and they discuss you know which films are coming up for shooting and all of that and obviously since they're the parents they get all the script for these films and they discuss you know whether what this person was like to work with for kids and what you know, uh, it's, it is okay. just basically yeah. about for yeah for the parents to basically yeah. to make sure that one their child's getting the best experience and all of that and that they're not getting into a project that's that's a bit dodgy so they can all kind of confer okay that's interesting yeah yeah and so um the, i've got a screenshot from a post mm-hmm. saying that in a later version of the script the the scene involving uh beverly mm. and her father goes much further I think I read yeah. this. I think I read this in like a bloody disgusting article, and, I, and what you're telling me now has kind of I don't know, like re-sparked those memories because I remember mm. reading something about a parent talking about the scene with Beverly and his father, and and about because I remember saying reading something about them explicitly showing things which they don't really do in this script, and I remember something about them saying that Beverly's father got his friends in on it. Which I remember thinking, there's no suggestion of that here, so why would I have made that up? Like, there's nothing for me to have got that from. So I must have heard it somewhere. Yeah, so in that particular scene, apparently it just involves him kissing her body and also him removing her underwear, Mm -hmm. and that's shown. Mm -hmm. And also, apparently, in a later scene, she also describes being gang-raped by her father's friends. Because that's not... As far as I know, I don't even think that's in the book. So... That must have come from somewhere, so I definitely didn't make that up. I was I was really like, where did I get this information from? Basically, that that was the gist of this one comment, mm. basically saying that, you know, obviously, you get the, the script through for a big film, you want your kid to be in it, but apparently the agents were sending it with, like, uh, notices saying, please read all the way through before agreeing to take part in this, because obviously you don't want your child mm. in something that could be very uncomfortable for them. And mm. Apparently there's also scenes where Travis... Travis Bowers, yeah, the main bully, yeah, apparently also rapes a sheep. What? I mean that that sounds like something I'd want to see, just to see how it fits in more than anything, just to see how the hell that fit into the script. Like, I just want to know where the hell that came from, on and how it was in any way relevant to anything That's other not... than for shock value. <laughs> I'll read the full like mini paragraph that I've yeah. got here. It's like reportedly there were also scenes where Travis Bowers raped a sheep mm. and masturbated onto a birthday cake. Well, I can see that that so... might be like that might be him like a prank, you know, like he might yeah. be trying to screw like that could be part of his bullying maybe he masturbates into one of the other kids birthday cakes or his dad's or something because he hates his dad i can see how that might be a thing but the sheep thing is just beyond me i don't know where that fits in yeah um the studio kept asking fukunaga to write them out yeah that sounds necessary to the spirit of king's book to 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 return to what you said now last podcast when we mentioned it that sounds like more than reasonable a request like cut out the sheep rape no (laughs) <laughs> Why? Because it's integral to the story. Uh, the studio wanted even more scenes cut, so they wanted the smoke hole scene cut. I don't know that. Is. I'm not sure which referring to which scene in particular. I assume that means something at the the indus- industrial place. Mm. And in the original script, he also wanted 
uh, stuff like the leper, which I think is one of the forms that Pennywise takes. Yeah, no, that is a that is a part of it. And also, he wanted one of the characters to have his original stutter, but I think they wanted that out. Yeah, no, because that that's one of the things that actually is in the eighties film. Um, it's the main kid, the one who lost. What's his? Is he Will? Will's the one who's lost Georgie. Yeah, because Will does have a stutter in the book, and he has a stutter in the other film. And I did think I don't remember reading it anywhere in this. So, yeah, I wonder why. That that's that's fine. I'd be fine with the stutter. But anyway, whatever. Um, so it might have, again, it might. Have, it's probably just as in a studio thing. In that he is Will is essentially the main character or the the central kid in the group. And mm-hmm. maybe they, if he was a side character, maybe they'd be okay with the stutter, but not for the main yeah, character. It's like having Dustin be the main character in Stranger Things. <laughs> We're inclusive to freak children, but only if they're comedy reliefs. <laughs> only if we can laugh at them. <laughs> you just jump straight to freak. <laughs> just a very, very minor speech impediment. <laughs> I think we'll do what we always do and start with a general verdict of the script before we go into the sort of breakdown where we talk through... In case you've never listened to this, we do talk through the whole script uh, chronologically and work our way through the story. Uh, but we'll do general thoughts first, I think. Yeah, spoiler-free. Spoiler-free, general thoughts. Do you want to go first, or do you want me to go first? I don't don't mind. You've probably got way more to talk about, so I'll go first by saying that I go and see this in the cinema. I'm quite looking forward to it. I think I could really enjoy it. I'm a bit worried by the the directorial change Mm -hmm. and the fact that, reportedly, the studio wanted to change even more, so I feel like even though it's the lesser version, I st- feel, still feel like this might be darker than what we get in the cinema. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, if they stick with more, if they keep all the character stuff the same, which mm-hmm. I've, I seem to remember reading lines in this and hearing them in the trailer. They, yes, there, there were parts where I thought this seems more similar than I anticipated. Like yeah. moments seem to have actually come from from this script that are in that trailer. So yeah, I definitely agree. Yeah, with that. exactly. Yeah. And overall, I mean, it, it basically just feels like if this wasn't based on an original book, obviously, I could imagine this still being conceived today, mm-hmm. like as in a, a sort of a response to the uh, the Super 8s and the mm. Stranger Things, in that it's basically just like, what if we take the childhood wonder of those kind of projects mm. and instead turn it about childhood trauma, yeah. really? And it's just like a nittier, grittier version of that. It is, And I can definitely see why that, this would work. Mm. I I have to say I for the first two thirds of this script, I would go as far as to say I loved it. Mm. Um there are problems with the last third that I had that are quite similar yeah. to the problems with the book and with the, the the story itself that we will go into, but for the first two thirds I really liked it and I felt like it improved in every conceivable way over the old eighties film. It felt properly like it was going for being disturbing and for being scary the the other film is very tame it's very tv and it's very campy pennywise is this he's he's acting like a clown he's acting like the joker and he's coming around (laughs) telling jokes and being all loud and cartoonish this makes him creepy and Mm. i really liked that I also I like this was the first one of the scripts we've read for this series where I actually cared about the characters and liked yeah. them and could yeah. tell them apart. There was definitely a part at the beginning where I felt like which one's this, which one's this because they all get introduced quite close together, but yeah. it was quite I quite soon got over that. 
I felt like they were all distinct and memorable. And yeah, I could easily, even if I didn't know their names, I could easily separate them. Like main kid dealing with grief, uh, the black kid who's homeschooled, the kind of kid who's babied by his parent, his mother, mm. the the girl who's got uh, home problems, the fat new kid, the nerdy kid who tells jokes, the Jewish kid. They've got like distinct personalities and they do sort of get developed. He did talk about making these characters deeper. And whilst I think there is a limit to that because there's so many of them, they I did mm. feel like I knew them better than I knew characters in most horror movies. And... I I really liked that aspect of it. I liked the characters. I liked a lot of the horror sequences. The way they were written, I they were it was very evocative, yeah. and I could sort of imagine them. And I even though it, it's when you're reading it, it feels a lot more cold and formal. I it's hard to be scared reading the scene descriptions. But I did sort of think, oh, I can imagine that being quite creepy when it's on screen. Mm. I liked how it kept Pennywise's mouth shut. That's one of my biggest problems with the with the short film is he never shuts up and that kills him being frightening if he's just talking all the time. In this, his speech is quite limited and I really appreciated that. So I liked the characters, I liked the tone, I liked a lot of the horror sequences. I liked that it replaced the fact that Pennywise uses the kids' fears against them. In the book and in the other film, that's used in very kind of schlocky ways, like he turns into a mummy because the kid's frightened of classic horror monster so he's like a mummy and he's a werewolf and he's frankenstein and it's used in very kind of basic ways in this he turns into stuff that's personalized to them and that is genuinely disturbing like he like he turns into one of the kids got is abused by um her father and he turns into her dad and does something quite dark and that was genuinely that was like psychological but in a way that wasn't that wasn't too heavy-handed. Besides the last act, the only other problem I had was that it felt like sometimes the characters came to conclusions about things that I'm not sure how they did, or they would explain things in very kind of expositionary ways. There are bits where they go like, this clown turns into things that we're afraid of, and it uses that fear against us. And, uh, okay, I got it, and then... They would go, like, for example, it turned into blood because I'm on my periods. Like, no, I, I got it. You didn't need to spell it out for me. And then equally, when they start talking about how to defeat Pennywise, it felt like they were just jumping to conclusions based on information that I'm not sure where they got it from. Like, we need to stick together and it can't hurt us. It's like, where'd that come from? Where did you get this? In? What? What? Huh? And I, I did feel like some of the story stuff like that and some of the lore felt like characters just had to rush to those conclusions for time's sake. I don't know if that's something you agree with or not. Um, I actually didn't have a problem with those problems at all, really. I mean, when you said the exposition stuff, the first thing that jumped to my mind is the stuff is the scene where they're explaining their fears. But I think mm. that they handled it, to me anyway, I feel like they handled it in a reasonable way in that... So when you say they instantly jumped to conclusions, the line that I remembered is that when they say... Oh yeah, you've got like uh, Beverly. You you got blood, and then they and go, that kid goes. All girls are afraid of blood. That was funny. That yeah. was funny. I liked yeah, exactly, that. Exactly. But it was just. Um, I don't know. It was just that they sort of went through each one rather than just one example. It was like, and you're afraid of this, and that's why it came as this, and it, it felt like, it felt like it was pandering a little to me. The problem I did have was that, 
like you said, is that they seem to instantly know what to like. This is how we'll stop him. Mm-hmm. And I, my instant thought is, how? Yeah. Why they are kids? Definitely still. Mm. Like I think they're all thirteen. Yeah, they that are. doesn't mean that they're complete idiots. If a thirteen-year-old comes across a supernatural force, they're not going to instantly believe that they can kill it with a slingshot. That mm. to me seemed a bit unrealistic. At, at least it um, wasn't just the fucking slingshot, though, because in the book and in the that's true. film, they go, "We'll use the slingshot," and that's it. In this, they like get chainsaws and all these things. Like, we'll just try everything. Yeah, like, that, uh, makes that more was sense. that made much more sense. But the problem, well, that's one of the problems of the third act. The other problem with the mm. third act is that it starts to get very ab- not abstract. I know that people get annoyed when I use this word now because apparently it's me not understanding things. What I mean is that they start. It starts to change tone from something that was relatively grounded into something quite rapidly. Yeah. Just like oh, now all this stuff, and you're like, okay, I, I get how you could build up to that, but. This feels a bit abrupt, and I think that the reason for this is that in the book, this kind of stuff comes at the end of a 1,200-page book, and all of the slightly more extreme sci-fi fantasy stuff comes at the end of the adult part of the story. So that comes right right at the end of a long story, and I feel like because they're splitting it into two parts, they felt like they needed a a scaled-up ending for the children part. In the book, mm. the child part just sort of ends with them going into the sewer, having a fight with Pennywise as a cl- in his clown form. They kind of beat him fairly easily, and that's the end. And I understand that is not how you can end this film. It needs something a bit more epic, because to just have them sort of go into the sewer and deal with the clown quite quickly would be very anticlimactic. And I get that this script, the thing we have to kind of understand is that this script isn't really the full story. This is half of it. But it felt like they sort of brought elements from the actual ending into this midpoint ending so that this could feel more satisfying. But instead of feeling Mm. more satisfying, it felt tonally out of nowhere and a bit kind of stupid. I think it just felt a bit silly and dumb. I think as well is that I talked about it briefly and that I said that, you know, it's changed from this film is basically like if you wanted to take childhood wonder and turn it into childhood trauma... And so mm. I get sort of why there has to be the second half, because it sees how it's affected them as adults. But when I was mm. getting to that two-thirds, and when it was starting to transition to this, I just thought, why can't it just be the one film? Like, yeah. I, I didn't want there to be yeah. a that, well, that's non-ending. The, I don't want to go into too much onto the second half, because we don't have that second half, so it's pointless. But the thing is, mm. to be perfectly honest... As someone who's seen the 80s film, I haven't read the book. I know quite a lot about the book, but I haven't read it. Not much happens in the second half when they're adults. They just sort of revisit their trauma. Pennywise comes back, starts tormenting them. And then they kind of go to the sewer and do it again. And then this time it just does it for good. It almost feels like a a sequel that was thought of afterwards, even though it is part of the same book. Even (laughs) though it was always part of it in the intended ending. It does actually feel... Like it could have ended here, and I agree with you. I hope that whatever they have in mind for the second half is a significant improvement, because the second half of the book is fucking awful, and the second half of that '80s film is even worse than the first half. So I, re- they really have to change it quite a bit, I think, to make the second half anything other than bad. But hopefully they do. Hopefully they do. But it definitely feels like they took elements of the ending, ending, and moved them into this, as you said 
non-ending. Mm. I think the changes that they've made, just from glancing at the mm. Wikipedia and then after the script, the changes that they've made to the general story, I think are a good sign mm-hmm. that they could do the second half well, Yeah, if they change quite a lot. Um, but at the same time, it was just... I, I, don't, I don't like going into a film knowing that I'm not going to get a completely satisfying ending they definitely upped from again from yeah. reading the wikipedia they've definitely upped the ending like you said yeah they've but, tried to turn it into again, a proper ending as much exactly, with a yeah. cliffhanger instead of just uh, an awkward hanging point for to wait for the real conclusion it's mm. it's it is a d i don't know would you think it's a fulfilling ending if if there was no second part would you think that this was a decent ending that just ended with a mini cliffhanger Besides the bits where it gets a bit conceptually mm. with the main, I suppose you could call it final battle, mm. it's not unsatisfying, but it's a bit too cliche for it to be completely satisfying. Yeah, it's also, for me, I felt like there were certain character things that didn't, it felt like they either didn't reach their proper conclusion or yep. just never it never had anything with them. And I and I, I it took me a while to think, oh that sucked. And then I remembered, oh wait, but this isn't actually the end. But it does mean that certain I don't know, character threads either go nowhere or feel like they have minimal impact on things. But that's because it's not the ending. But I don't know, it still means it's a little unsatisfying. I think I, I think it's fair to say that because we're not gonna see them as kids in the next one. Mm. So it's kind of the end of them as they are now. And I definitely agree with you in that the fact that after the big stuff is gone, it's basically just like the script forgets that there were six other kids and they're basically like Will mm. is the main character. Like he, like mm. through, through most of the script, obviously Will is the one that gets the most time, but it never feels like he is always the main character. Yeah. Like it, it does divert off into different people. It feels like, you know, Stranger Things is a, a decent one. Exactly. Like because some of these kids' films do have obvious main characters, but Stranger Things is a decent comparison in that I never felt like, shit, what's the main kid? I can remember the name of all the other kids in Stranger Things except the main one. Oh, no, they're looking for Will. Um, Will? Mike. Um, <laughs> okay, Mike. I never felt like Mike was main character. He's sort of the lead, but he's not as as much yeah. of a main character. Where And Will's comparable to that until, like you said, at the end it treats it like he's the only one that really mattered. When they've tried to make, you know, deeper roots mm. in each of these characters for this film, it doesn't, it makes even less sense for you to just kind of... Forget about them. ...not finish them off. Yeah. Like, not that they all had set up arcs, like very clear arcs to go through, mm. that beating Pennywise would be this... But they have their conflicts and them. their fears yeah, exactly. that just are unresolved, yeah. Or that, mm. even worse, in the case of, like, I think Richie, I don't even know what his fears were. He just gets none. Richie's just kind of there. Yeah, and Richie's I mean, one fun. of the fun ones. Yeah, like I wish yeah. Richie had more purpose. I nearly said purpose. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay, should we um, should we move in to it? Uh, just to summarize, uh, it's really good. It has it suffers from some problems that I think are just inherent from what it's adapting. But I think they fix so much that was wrong with the original source. They improve quite a lot on the on the previous version of this film. And if this came to the screen in this form, I would be quite satisfied. I think this would be at least... I think this would be in my top 10 of the year, I think, if it I, came out like this. I agree. I, I, I agree with that 100%. I think it's like the right balance between kind of like the nostalgic era blockbuster and mixing it with modern horror. I think it's, yeah. 
it it doesn't i think it could appeal to both people i think that's a good point actually unlike there is a danger i think that some of this nostalgia stuff like stranger things and super 8 if they like it's fine now but if it continues it could just sort of be like yeah you're making Mm, these old movies we get it whereas this does it takes those ideas and does some it updates them and does something new with them which is what i think needs to happen yeah, you can't just continue to make ET clones and just sort of say, but it's nostalgic <laughs> now. Yeah, so it's really good. It is really good, and I do recommend that people read it. But maybe hold off just in case it's closer to the film that's actually coming than we think, because then you can yeah. get a really good experience with that film. Uh, yeah, I, I would say you don't have to read this. Like, well, it's it's not like I don't think that there's going to be that massive changes, honestly. No, not from but this. I feel version. like some of the darker moments might be. Trimmed down I can, or watered I, down. I the... personally can see how it could be trimmed for budget reasons too, and I might highlight yes. that when we come along. I think I know which moments you're going to talk about. Probably do. Uh, right, so we'll, we'll move in now. So now we're going to be doing a breakdown, so obviously spoilers are ga- guaranteed here. Okay, so the script opens exactly how the uh, previous film opens. I am actually working on the assumption here that people have seen the other film, which I really should stop doing. The script opens on a stormy day in the town of Derry, which is, I, th- I believe it's actually in Maine, uh, but if not, it's a Maine substitute. Uh, Stephen King loves Maine, in case you didn't know. Didn't know. It's st- oh, it's, okay, all of Stephen King's books are set in Derry. Uh, in Maine, in Maine. And actually, Derry, it's, all of Stephen King's books are an interconnected universe. I don't know if you know this, they're actually connected. And Derry is a town that, do you know that one that... The James Franco TV show that's the date. Oh, yes. That Oh, I didn't know that's Stephen King. Yeah, that's Stephen King. And they, he goes to Derry at some point in that. And one of the characters he meets is Beverly's father. Oh, that's interesting. Like, as a an, as a sort of minor character in it. They're all connected in these very sort... I, I At least all of the ones that are written as Stephen King. I don't know if the ones that he wrote under a pseudonym are connected. Anyway, this is set in Derry. Stormy day, and Will, who is a kid who is bedridden with some kind of illness, is making a paper boat for his brother, Georgie, who wants to go run this little boat along the drains whilst the whilst, you know, the flooding, so that it can actually sort of sail. So they're making this, and they're running around the house, getting together all the bits and pieces that they need. And as they're doing this, we learn at one point that they have like a call, like it's a secret code they use to communicate with one another. Uh, it doesn't. I I wrote down exactly what it says. I think uh, they're preparing. Uh, it's some kind of call. That's exactly what it says. Because I remember it was quite vague. Yeah. <laughs> some kind of call, and the script literally says this will come back to haunt us later. It explicitly yeah, I didn't like says that. that. Uh, I. It depends on how you look at this. It depends on if you consider a script as as its own piece of art, or if you just think this is literally uh, a framework for a film like filmmaker to work off you know this isn't designed to be read this is designed for people to understand what's important when they're making the film so it doesn't bother me i think that the way that they wrote it in that because it's written with like asterisks 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 mm. bold uh caps mm. here we do some kind of, it's the only thing in the entire script that's written in bold and is it? i think that that alone is yeah that alone is enough for me to know this call is important like, okay. I think I think it could have had the same weight to it if it was just written as a normal description, and I, 
I mean, obviously, I, I think that's just a, it's a, it's obviously, it's just a script thing, not a film yeah. problem, because it would, it wouldn't, it's not like the director would say, I would love that. This is going to haunt us later. <laughs> a giant arrow film. appears on the screen, pointing, like, important. <laughs> Um, so so anyway as we said Will is unable to actually go outside with Georgie because he's ill so Georgie runs outside with this little paper boat on his own on the day of the storm he puts it on the storm drain you've seen the trailer you know what he's running after the boat as it goes around and eventually as it does in the other film it stops at this drain Georgie does it go down the drain I think it goes down doesn't it yeah it goes down the drain Georgie kind of like peers down to look at it and inside the sewer that he's looking in is Pennywise. And this was instantly when I knew this was going to be so much better than the other version. Because firstly, they introduced Pennywise and he just the way he's described is so much creepier than just like a clown. They say like he's not Ronald McDonald. Um, he's not like a modern conception of a clown. He's like a 19th century clown. And he says that he looks almost childlike, which is just so much better. And it, it's it's less goofy, it's less campy, it's less... I don't know, it, it feels much more disturbing. And then he, he does what he does in the other film, which is he kind of tries to persuade him to come closer. And it doesn't go on for anywhere near as long as it does in the other film. In the other film, it's a long, protracted scene. I think it loses any sense of tension. Oh, because. Really? Yeah, because Pennywise starts to become a character instead of this mysterious thing when he talks on and on. Here, he tries to sort of persuade him to come over and they set up the whole float thing. I can't remember how they do it, but basically Pennywise is always going on about how things float down there. Um, Mm. And he tries to lure Georgie down. And then when he gets Georgie, that was when I was like, oh, this is so much better. Because in the in the other film, Georgie gets closer, and then Pennywise it cuts to a still image of Pennywise going ah, and then it fades to black, and that's it. <laughs> that's all you see. Oh. In this, Georgie gets ripped apart and like yanked down the drain, and the way it describes yeah. it is like um, Georgie's ragdoll body flung left and right as Pennywise feeds on him and tries to pull him through the metal grate. And it's all sort of told as one of the neighbours is like completely distracted and not noticing yeah. it happening in the background. And it's just such a better She's way of doing it. Yeah, it's such a better way of doing it. And it was properly dark. Like it made me go, whoa. It's dark. It, it's also kind of like darkly comedic as well. Yeah. yeah. It's sort of a way that they're acknowledging, you know, it's a slightly camp idea, but at the same time, they're they're having fun with how dark you can get with it. Yeah. We then cut a couple of years later. Georgie's been missing, and by this point, I think it's accepted that he's dead, isn't it? It's basically, like no one's really looking for Georgie anymore at this point. That confused me a tiny bit, so I don't want to get hold up on details. I, I never got the impression of has he disappeared or had, did they find the body? I didn't. They do because they did, they say he's dead, and they acknowledge it as him going down the storm drain at some points. People say yeah. they people reference the the sewage drain as if something has led them to the conclusion that he died there. So yeah, that was a little mm. confusing. I don't I didn't know how much people knew about what happened. But basically Derry has become since then inordated with children just missing or dead. Like he mm. Georgie's not an isolated case, but no, Georgie is the most relevant for the script because we're following Will, who is our main character. 
And so we kind of cut in as school is wrapping up for summer because that's how all of these things start. Like Super 8, all of them start with school, <laughs> summer. Yeah. It's a period when the kids can have their adventure. And we're introduced gradually to the children. Now, I don't want to get hung up on the minutia yeah. of how each child is introduced, but we meet them. They are, there's Will, our Georgie's brother, the main kid for all intents and purposes. And I also found the least defined, like he, his, his main personality trait is that he is Georgie's brother and that he hasn't been bullied. He's the only one who hasn't been bullied because the bullies have given him a pass. The bully mm. says like, we've been letting you off because you, because, because of what happened to your brother. But now like the year that, that, that year period's over and we're going to come after you. So it feels like everyone's been tiptoeing around him, I guess. No one wants to bring anything up. But that's that's Will. I think, I think, yeah, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head with that one, though, is that his sort of, the leading characteristic of him is that he feels like he's being ignored. Like, he feels like he doesn't really have a voice. But I think he does sort of fall into the main character syndrome. Yeah. Where the main character, because he's the driving force of the plot for a lot of it, he doesn't have as much character as the people that can just say fun lines on the sidelines. I think you're, you're right, though, there. That that's probably a better way of putting it. He is defined by the fact that he feels ignored because his parents are ignoring him because they're still sort of hung up in their grief period. And so they're oddly mm. neglecting the one child that they have left because they're so kind of focused on what happened to Georgie. Even the bullies are kind of ignoring him, which I know is not, it's not a bit, but it's like it, literally everyone's ignoring him, even the bullies. Mm. So that's Will. Then we have, right, let's, I'm just trying to make sure I get the names right. Richie is the nerdy one. He's got video game magazines and things like that. He's he's the nerd kid. He's also, I suppose, the, the closest to a comedy relief that there is. He does voices and things. I'd say. In in the in the old film, he's the one played by Seth Green, a young Seth Green. Oh, so he's kind of the comedy kid. Then we have right, it's Eddie, who is the one with the epipen, isn't he? Mm -hmm. So Eddie is kind of babied a little by his mother is always doting on him and worrying about him, and so he is kind of defined by the fact that. He's constantly worrying over things. He's got this EpiPen that it turns out he doesn't even need, but is, he's kind of a hypochondriac, I guess. And he's he's the not coward, but he's worried about everything. He's frightened of everything. And he's not allowed to do this because his mother says so. He's not allowed to do that because his mother says so. And that, that's kind of who he is. Then there's Stan. Stan is Jewish and he is going on, he's going into his bar mitzvah. And he also seems to have... Maybe he's just going through puberty because he's like looking at porn magazines and stuff and he's taking a lot more interest in it than the other kids, which is going to actually matter when we get to a scene with him mm. in the synagogue that we mentioned earlier. So that's him. He's the, I don't want to say he's the Jewish kid, but that's how I remembered him. He's the Jewish well, kid. Well, that, that also comes into it because they, and they introduce it in this first school scene as well, is because he's also, he's literally becoming a man soon mm -hmm. because he's got his bar mitzvah. Yes, exactly. A sort of fear as well for him, not mm -hmm. only with the sex thing, but also because he's got to study for his bar mitzvah yeah. as well. So it's like an either, another pressure on top of it. So they're the four that are actually friends when it starts. There are other children that become part of the, the <laughs> loser club, that become part of the loser club, but they're the four that actually know each other at the beginning. We're then introduced to the other three who uh, are introduced separately. So there's Beverly, she's the girl, and it was quite uncomfortable. They introduce her with the other girls calling her a slut. 
and she's like she's 13 and they're talking about like how all the boys says she gives the best blowjobs or something like that and she's yeah. she is defined kind of by the fact that <sighs> uh, this is uncomfortable so her dad he, he isn't in this script he isn't diddling her but it's like he's going to be like he's waiting for her to become old enough so that he can. Yeah, um, that's definitely implied. Uh, and um, and then obviously we we sort of hear about like this is how the girls at school talk about her, and then later all of the boys basically develop a crush on her. So she is kind of like because she's the only girl, she's like. I don't want to say she's not a sex object as far as the script is concerned, but it is like the characters all are c- focused on the fact that she's a girl. She is defined by the fact that she's the only girl one, but I don't mean that in the normal way. Normally when you say that, it's a criticism of the script, like, oh, she's different because she's a girl. But here, it's like that actually matters because everyone treats her differently because she's a girl. All of the boys treat her differently. They all want to impress her. Her dad's got this weird thing with her. The fact that she is a girl actually... Uh, the fact that she's the only girl is deliberate here. It's not just uh, a yeah. uh, sort of, we need a woman, there's a girl one. Now now we've got that that box ticked. It's actually intentional. Do, do you agree? Do you sort of see what I mean? Yeah, I, I agree in that her character wouldn't work if there was another girl mm. in the group. Because like you said, the whole point is that she is the only girl. Yeah. It's not like they're not bothering with it because mm. she's there. It's not like she's the focus of attention all the time. There's just there is a clear focus on her from the characters, and yes. it does border on uncomfortable. Yes. Two of the two of the kids to introduce you to now. There is Mike. I think Mike's the right one. Mike's homeschool, isn't he? They call him homeschool. Yeah. Mike's homeschool. So Mike yeah. is we int- we meet Mike when he's with his dad in a scene that I thought was really really good. When they're killing the sheep, they're um he, he so he's homeschooled and they sort of live on this farm, and his dad is making them use you know those the thing that Anton Chigurh uses in No Country for Old Men to to shoot people with the and, uh, the, the bolt gun bolt gun yeah that uh, they're using that to put down sheep and it, I liked that because it felt so unsanitized it didn't feel like uh. It felt so matter of fact, like they're just having this father and son conversation whilst just yeah. killing sheep, and it felt it just. I liked how not emotionally manipulative it, it was with that. Just like this is happening. Here are two characters talking while they do it, and so he is defined partly by the fact that he's homeschooled and so has no connection to the other kids, partly by the fact that therefore his dad is basically his best friend, which does sort of come into it later, and also he is the black one. Again, as with Beverly, this isn't just a tick box thing. This actually matters. Yeah. This actually has a purpose. He is a black one. He is the only black one. The last kid is Bill. Is his name Bill? Ben. 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 Ben's the one I always forget. Ben's the fat one, and he's a new kid, right? Yeah. He's a new kid, and he's therefore alone. He spends his time in the library studying the horrible <laughs> history of Derry like all the terrible things that have happened. And then he's the first one to get a crush on Beverly. And I think he's the one who most, he's the closest thing that you would call to Beverly's love interest in the sense that he's the one who is most focused on Beverly. They're sort of, they're destined, but uh, air quotes, destined to be from Mm -hmm. just from, you know, you've you've seen it before with the script thing where they just have a specific back and forth that, you know, that they're aiming to be ended up together. As we said later, 
uh, all the boys end up thinking about Beverly in some way or another. But he's the one yeah. who, from the very beginning, is like trying to talk to her and is trying. To, he's like right. He writes a, a haiku. Um, yeah. He's he's actively pursuing her more so than the other boys are. So we meet the kids. Yeah. That's 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 that out of the way, and that is a good twenty-ish pages of the script. Just getting to know these kids. I liked that. It meant that I had a clear understanding of who they were, which is something that we lacked in the passengers and in alien engineers and all these other things. I I knew who they were, even if they were kind of archetypy at first, like Jewish, nerdy, whatever. It was fine. I could yeah. separate them. I, I really appreciated that reading it. Just just knowing who the fuck I was reading about, and then they do get developed. But um, all of what I did like, and it's something that we talked about then, was that. Black kid, Jewish kid, girl kid, they're not just boxes to tick. They actually, those those aspects of them are important. Pennywise plays on those aspects with them too, which is well, something exactly. that's cool. It's, it's all about how what they are changes their experiences of childhood. Mm-hmm. And that is exactly what, yeah, what it plays on. Yes. It makes sense once you get into it. But I agree from the beginning, it kind of seems like, oh, okay, this is a bit more stereotypical than I thought, mm. but it's it's nice that it's it's well written enough that you're along for the ride, and then by the time that it gets into the reasoning, then you're already on board with these characters because you like them and you've had the time with them. Yeah. So again, not wanting to get too hung up on the minutiae, we then what what follows for the first third or so of the script is Pennywise preys on each of them individually, and it sort of feels like separate, mm. isolated scenes where Pennywise goes from kid to kid confronting them with their fears towards the middle they sort of get together but for the first third it is kind of almost not i don't want to say short filmy but i mean it's it's separate scenes <laughs> about yeah. like separate horror scenes that are only really connected in the sense that these kids all need to encounter pennywise at some point so we can go through all of these scenes without really having to worry about chronology <laughs> which is why my notes get a bit more vague here so the first one is actually the synagogue one do you want to talk about the synagogue one? Because I've been talking for quite a while and my throat is getting dry. Okay. <laughs> well, the synagogue one is is Stan preparing for his uh, bar mitzvah. Mm-hmm. Basically having an uncomfortable moment with the rabbi because the rabbi's lost his son. Mm-hmm. Uh, going down to um, the bathroom and then this naked woman coming out, out of the bathroom. Yeah. He described it as, as like a, a mikveh, like a cleaning room for women in the synagogue. Yeah. I have no, no idea what he does that is. A, because he, I he, he does explain it, which was nice, though. He did actually tell me yeah, what exactly. it was. I didn't I, have to I, look I, it up. I got the gist of yeah. it. Yeah, exactly. And it's kind of described that you know that she's she looks normal from the front, but then from the back she's kind of rotten. It's mm. the kind of thing that we've seen before in well, even just like Stephen King things because I thought of um, The Shining. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And basically, he just runs away, and that's. That's his moment, really. That's his she do, Pennywise she, moment. She does say something about floating, right? Yeah, she says, come float with me. Yeah. yeah. This they is, all sort of link into that. That He's constantly talking about floating. Not on, At least, though, it's contextualised in this. Like, each individual occasion, he makes floating somehow relevant. In the other fucking film, That's he just... The other film, he just shows up and starts rambling about floating. You know, what the fuck is he talking about? He just sort of shows up <laughs> right. and goes like, we all float. And like, what? What do you mean? What does this mean? But at least here it's contextualised to the occasion. Um, there was only one real moment where I was like, that's a bit of a stretch. Okay. It was almost stupidly funny. 
that I almost just let it slide, but we'll get to that. Right, next one is actually Mike. Uh, the, the bullies first start chasing Ben, and then partway along the way, uh, they kind of divert their attention to Mike uh, because he's black, and they start chasing Mike. Along the chase, Mike notices Pennywise, but doesn't. he's not focused on that because he's being chased by the, by the bullies. The bully, by the way, is the main bully that you're going to have to learn the name of is Travis. Yep. He has a gang, but they don't matter they're just other kids but <laughs> travis is the lead bully uh they chase him to an ironworks and again pennywise kind of keeps popping up behind the trees and sort of he's there but it's more about the fact that mike's being chased by the bullies at this point yeah and it's revealed that the ironworks was a um a site where basically it's been abandoned because there was a tragedy there in mm. the past in yeah. the town's history there was a big tragedy there yeah uh long story short Eventually, they lose him, they lose Mike, and separate. But one of them notices Pennywise. This one's called Hawk Stetler, and he he gets lured away by Pennywise. I think he's following, he sees a balloon and he follows the balloon. And he goes into what I inferred was a mine or something. Yeah, it's it's yeah. A, an enclosed, dark space. And he's got, um you know, the whole hairspray and lighter thing to make a flamethrower. He's doing that to create light. So he walks in there, listening to Pennywise, hearing these sounds. And I guess he's sort of in a trance, because that's sort of the impression I got. Is He's not just stupid. He is being supernaturally affected into separating from the group. Yeah, yeah. He goes in there, starts using the lighter, and there was a bit I really liked there where he, I don't know if it's described that he sees it or just us, but with one of the bursts of flame, you see dead children for a second, just like yeah. on the wall, just like for the length of time that the flame is out. And then as he's walking, he starts hearing Pennywise speak to him and starts going like, who's out there? I'm going to kick your ass or whatever. Pennywise starts talking about floating and then jumps, pounces on him, and kills the kid. He's, so th- this is like at the first time since Georgie that we we actually see Pennywise yeah. active and killing someone. We've heard that other people have gone missing, but this is the first time we see it. Yeah, I really liked the because they kind of they briefly introduce him as like he's like the giggly anarchist. This mm-hmm. this kid of the bully group, the stereotypical arsonist. I mean, mm-hmm. and so it's it's fun. I, I liked the him having the hairspray and doing mm. like the balls of flame and yeah. lighting up parts of the room at a time. I thought that I think that comes down to you described it right at the very beginning is that I think this what this script does is it's very easy to visualize mm-hmm. all the horror bits and it makes it that much easier to get into the script. Yeah. Compared to some of these others we've read, where sometimes when it gets to the action or horror sequ- sections, I couldn't really understand what was happening. It's very clear for the most part. This is a good example of it where I just visualized it so clearly and thought, that's cool and that sounds good. And it did help. It, it, it serves to show just how clear writing can make this feel so much yeah, better. With uh, Shadow Company, that was the closest that we got to decent action before, but it was mm. more just kind of describing what was happening and the actions themselves were cool. But mm. I think that this takes it to the, the presentation mm-hmm. of the action, which is cool. Mm-hmm. Which I think, yeah. So they're kind of different in the in those respects. Yeah. So that's that's like the first kill uh, outside of Georgie. So the next attack is actually Beverly. We were introduced to a creepy home life. Her dad, as we said, is kind of he isn't he isn't sexually abusing her, but he is sort of acting in a way that suggests when she's 
old enough, he will. Yeah, definitely. When when the first sort of threat in this sense is that her mother asks her if she started to have a period yet, and that is obviously for her frightening on an extra level. You know, for most girls, it's like, ah, mm. uh, what's happening to me? For her, it's ah, that's one step closer to yeah to to my dad was... considering me viable. Um, so I felt like the mum character was written like she was a drug addict or she she seems like a trashy mum, uh, a kind of exactly, but because she's very creepy, a very creepy mum. Is that well? It, it's, it's, it's something nothing, I can. There's nothing in her character that inherently makes me go. That's why she's creepy. It was just it's, yeah. It's well, it's it's creepy enough to just go up to your girl and bluntly ask, "Have you started bleeding yet? You're gonna have to buy tampons." It's very blunt. And I think to be married to someone like the man she's married to would also suggest that she's not quite right herself. To be married to someone who is potentially going to rape your daughter. She's not mother of the year. We'll put it that way. Um, So (laughs) Beverly goes into the bathroom and the sink starts like bleeding. In the other film... I think balloons start coming out of the drain pipe and they explode with blood. Oh. Um, in this, it's the the sink starts to leak blood, which already kind of strengthens the connection between the sink and the period. It feels like balloons popping yeah, and yeah. creating blood does not link to periods. This sort of does. Also, it's, it's, just, it's just not as scary. <laughs> no. It's just a bit no. silly. But that's because that other film isn't, looking at their personal fears. it's There's no connection in that other film to her exactly, having a period. Yeah. That's for this. So it starts leaking, and the script it like really like hits the nail on the head. It calls it a demonic ejaculation when it kind of like <laughs> does like a big mm. burst at the end. So she starts like screaming in fear, and her dad comes in, like, what's wrong, what's wrong? And he can't see the blood, this is this is the reason this scene's important is that we realize the adults can't see what the kids are seeing yeah. here because he she's like freaking out and he sees nothing and he actually like puts his hands in the sink and to her he's touching blood to him he's just touching water and like he rubs it on her face or something but obviously he doesn't know that he's rubbing blood on her face but to her she's terrified because she's just having this sink blood rubbed down her face and then her dad explicitly says to her, this is this is his line, okay? She, he starts saying about, you know how other dads are, and starts trying to say, I'm, like, I'm your, I'm your friend, you don't have to be scared of me. You know how other dads drink and everything. But I don't do that. I don't need to do that because I've got me all I need right here at home. And then he strokes her face and says, you're almost a woman now. And then the actions say that he sort of, as he's close to her, he breathes in her scent and then he leaves. So there's no, it's not explicit, but he's, that's, that's all the suggestion I felt like I needed for how the dad's feeling. He's, you're almost a woman now, which does say he's not doing it yet. He's gonna, and, uh, he's not like being forceful. He's trying to sort of convince her. He's trying, he's being insidious rapey with her yeah it's insidious yeah. rapey not not physical force rapey so that's that's that scene which was very uncomfortable for me to talk about yeah so i did kind of just leave you to that i don't <laughs> just because i didn't really have anything to add but um i think what's good with this as well is that this is kind of the part of the film where it can get like a, a repetitive rhythm to it mm. because you are just basically trying to find a way for all the kids have their own personal experiences with it 
there's so many kids like they've got to have mm. all their own moments so what they kind of i think they do well is that they spread it out that you find out more about its powers because ah that, that's a good so point so for the first one it's in the synagogue so you find you realize that it can shape shift yeah so that's it's not one. just a clown yeah and then boy. the next yeah and then the next one it's in the kind of foundry and mm. you realize that he can sort of semi control people because like you said he's sort of in a trance mm. and he can create those visions of like all yeah. the dead kids yeah and then in this third one where we get Beverly, we also get the additional information of yeah, you know, adults can't see it. see it. That's a good point. I didn't think of that. Like, yeah. it's doing two jobs. One, it's introducing you to the fears of these individual kids, mm. but also, yeah, it's slowly giving exposition to his powers, which stuff mm. that will play in later on. And it's just making it that a bit less repetitive and a bit less... Well, it's still structured, but it makes it feel a bit less like and another one, another one, another... Yeah. It's, it's another scare scene. That's a good point. After this... Ben bumps into the loser club down by a stream. So they're playing or something, and they come across the shoe of this kid that went missing a while ago. And they, they kind of talk about, what are we going to do with this? Who knows? Uh, and this is when Ben meets them. So basically, when, when Ben's been bullied by the kids and he meets them down by the stream, he's pretty badly cut up. Travis has got his father's knife and has actually cut... Yeah, on the stomach, and, and he loses the knife, doesn't he? That's that's what pisses yeah. him off. Yeah, and also it establishes the fact that you know it's his dad's knife, and mm. so if he loses this, he's going to get beaten as well, which mm-hmm. you know links into why uh, Travis is the way he is, and that's sort of his own personal mm. fear. But um, and then because obviously Ben's pretty cut up, they they try to help him. They go and get supplies in town, and oh, Beverly kind of has her. Scene. Yeah, Beverly has her cool girl scene where she helps, where she's just in the drugstore and she helps them kind of with this like childish. Uh, I'm trying to think like Ocean's Eleven. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think what the yeah they get what, what they get the, the kid with they get the kid with the epipen to pretend to have like a, a, yeah like a scam like attack. a con man scam yeah. in order to steal the supplies mm. the medical supplies to help Ben because they're so expensive. You're right. And yeah. then from then on, she's kind of just with the gang. For yeah, she be- she becomes part of the gang. And as we said, they all start to develop crushes on her to some extent. But but uh, but the fat kid is like particularly trying to impress her all the time. Yeah, Ben. Yeah, Yeah. he's definitely like he's infatuated with her, and that's sort of like his main characteristic. Besides the fact that he also likes reading and he knows Mm. the history. Next is Georgie. Uh, So Will. He is the, the, the signal, the one that was going to cut him back to haunt us, <laughs> and thinks it's Georgie. So he starts following it, um, and eventually it leads him into the basement, where there is it's established that there is a leak in the basement that's sort of causing it to minorly flood. So he follows the whistle and everything. I, I, I inferred it as a whistle, but as it said, it's some kind of signal. Yeah. Who knows? Like, like some kind of bird call thing is what I, yeah. I assumed. It's not like them going, <laughs> oi. <laughs> like it's actually a sound yeah. of some kind. So he follows him through the house into this bit, this flooded basement, and instead of just being minorly flooded, it's like completely flooded, which it shouldn't be. Mm. And he sees Georgie on a chair, and he is as a corpse, which was like, oh, I didn't, I didn't think that was going to happen. Like he's, you know, he looks mm. like he he should, you know, torn apart. And we see that Pennywise is like. Puppeteering him like a ventriloquist dummy. I really liked this moment. This was this that was, was so cool. Moments in the script. Really, it was yeah. it was so cool because um, again, in in to compare to the to the other version, you know, he just sees Georgie Georgie looking as he did when he was alive, tame, sanitized, and then it doesn't do anything. 
that's one of the biggest problems with that 80s version is that when these vision bits happen, they kind of see Pennywise. He goes like, you'll float, and then disappears. He doesn't really do anything. Mm. In this, he's not only is he scaring the shit out of him with the sight of his mangled b- brother as a ventriloquist dummy, he then goes after him. He's actually trying to get people here. In the other script, he's just like it's just like he's fucking about for no reason. He's yeah. just like, yeah. but he runs after him, and the, I love the way it described how he ran after him. It says that he does. Uh, yeah. Pennywise crosses the flooded basement and scuffles up the steps after Will, arms and legs splayed out like a charging crocodile. That's a cool way to describe how he's running. Like I can imagine it because um, I think I think you see that shot in the trailer with the um. Is that one of the last shots of the trailer? And it's like, yeah, he's got his arms stretched out, kind of flailing as he runs. And that's a creepy image. Mm. Uh, Will runs up, screaming. His parents come down. He says he sees Georgie, and they're like, Georgie's dead. Shut up. (laughs) Shut up, Meg. That's basically all the parents' dialogue in this is shut up, Meg. It's not that they don't care about their son. It's that they just, they do just completely, they're completely ambivalent to his grief. They don't think how losing a brother would feel. They just think we've lost our son. Exactly. No one yeah. can understand. And like at one point, Will asks, "Like, are we going to go on the vacation we go on every year?" And they're just like, "Shut up, Meg. <laughs> Ignore him again." <laughs> just going back to the to the moment again. I just I liked that it wasn't just a case of. I thought it was just going to be a shapeshift thing. I, I really liked that one. So it was like him controlling it like a, mm. a meat puppet. But then when you say the the way that he's described kind of coming at him, mm. I really liked that as well. The line after... The oh, he's got line. it strapped on his back or something, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's got the corpse, like, strapped to his back. I remember just, that. Yeah, it's it's just... It's, it's much more emotionally really... manipulative on Pennywise's exactly. part. It's like, it's I killed... It's, it's not like, here's your brother who's dead. It's, here's your brother who I killed and yeah. who I can use against you. If he's just acting as his brother, that's just him reminding him his brother's dead which he knows having the dismembered meat meat puppet of his brother is i killed your brother this is what i did to him and now i'm going to do it to you and that and is just creepier. the fact that yeah 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 and it's just just the idea of someone like a monster chasing you with your dead brother's like corpse strapped yeah. to his back like just there as well it was this mm. was definitely one of my favorite moments of the film and it was the moment i think this was the moment where I liked the bit with the lights before, but mm. this was the moment where I thought, I definitely want to see this in the cinema. Mm-hmm. Again, it was a visual action that, even just reading it, just made me excited to see it. Unfortunately, this is one bit that we know has changed. Because this bit is, is in it? the trailer, and it's the bit where Georgie's just yelling, You'll float too! And he is just a kid. Oh. We then see Pennywise rise out of the water and do the crocodile. The crocodile runs still in it, which is cool. But That's I, good. we don't. I, I, I mean, maybe, maybe it's a separate scene. Maybe Georgie appears more than once. But I doubt we're seeing this. That's that's a real shame. Which is a shame because I, I really liked this bit. Right. There was a period of the script where I, I started taking less notes because I felt like less was happening. But the kids sort of uh, eventually all come together and form a group, and they start to talk about how. Have you seen this thing? Yeah, have you seen this thing? But they don't. They, it takes a while. They don't. They don't just sort of blurt out. Have you seen that clown thing? <laughs> they they sort yeah. of half suggest it, and eventually they all come to the understanding they've seen the same thing. So eventually, the police start looking for the kid who went missing in the mines, mm. 
and the bully kid Travis says, "Oh, it was that black kid. It, the black kid. We were looking for the black kid, and um, he must have done it." He was the last person seen with the yeah. Guy it, that it must it. be him. And eventually, uh, Travis's dad is a police officer, and they come looking for Mike, and they come to the farm where Mike is and where Leroy. Leroy is is Mike's dad, and they they try to arrest Mike for the potential murder of this kid in the mines and in and in the course of like obviously Leroy goes you can't just arrest him you don't you can't just take my kid and there's lots of confusion and then the dad kind of has like a heart attack yeah Mike, Mike's dad has a heart attack from the from the panic anyway the 4th of July is then the next sort of important date and it opens with Mike with his dad in the hospital they do introduce the 4th of July quite well I do like that it it, it it felt expensive, um, just the descriptions of like the most extravagant fireworks display you've ever seen. Yeah. But Mike is in the hospital with his dad, and they're talking, and basically he says, the dad starts saying, like, it's, it's slightly rushed, but it's basically like, I'm going to die soon, and there's one thing I need to tell you that's damn important, so listen. Um, and he describes his own experience with it. And this is one of the first flashbacks in the script, if not the first flashback in the script. Yeah, it there is are, the first flashback. There are a few of these, and I think that that could be one of the budgetary things that we maybe don't see, because some of these go back further in time than others, and that obviously has production design costs and things like that, if, yeah. you, if you're tra- travelling back to Derry in the past. But it's good, it makes it feel like a, a real place with a real sense of history. I liked that part of it. And the first of these flashbacks is my personal favorite. Yeah. It's it's to this I think it's like the 60s or something. Well it, it's it's the it's the 27 years before we are now. Okay. We haven't said this is set in the 80s. Uh in the book and in the um the previous film, the kids bits are in the 50s because the adults bits are the 80s because that's when the book right. was written. So all the kids mm. stuff is nostalgic for the 50s. In this case, I presume the adult stuff is going to be now. So the nostalgic stuff is for the 80s. So this flashback is in the, the 60s or whatever to when uh, Leroy, Mike's dad, is like a, some kind of black gathering. They're like having a party. It's like, it's a, it's like, a, it's like a black club, basically, yeah. isn't it? And these, these people called the Main Legion of Decency who, interestingly enough, are another part of the King Extended Universe. Oh, are they? Yeah. But they, uh, they're, they're the Ku Klux Klan, basically, aren't they? Yeah, they're, yeah. they're, they're, they're just... I, d- I don't know if... The, I don't think the Klan has copyright on them. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it felt like. It was like when they have, like, a... When, like, someone gets out a laptop in a show and it's got a banana yeah. apple. It's like, really? Like, you don't have to change that. But... So they they arrive and they set fire to this to this club. And, you know, people are dying and some of them get out and jump into this canal. Obviously, they're seeing loads of people burning to death, mass hysteria, lots of panic and fear. And at this point, um, Mike's dad describes seeing... Pennywise, like, lifting out of the water by his balloon. Like, the balloon is carrying him. Mm. And he's, like, picking off people in the canal and dragging them under and killing them. Including some of the clan people as well. He's getting the clan people as well as the black people. So he's just, like, picking people off. And it was a really cool image. Just I loved the way that he was, like, instead of flying himself, it's the balloon carrying him. 
and just him like floating out of the water or across the water by that is a really eerie image. So that's that's basically the story. It's actually broken up a couple of times, which I didn't understand why. Because the nurse like comes in and sort of says like, "Oh, we need to do this," and then he gets back to telling the story. So it's it's I've condensed it into one whole thing, but it's segmented in the script. I think it was partly to basically establish the fact to one it was. They just did like a, an introduction so he can say like, Dad, I don't I don't need to be told about being a good person. He's like, no, it's not about that. Yeah. So that's the first breakup. And then the second one is basically to introduce the fact that the nurse is walking in with a chemo bag. Mm. So basically implying that it's not just because he's in the, in the hospital for the heart attack and he's going to come out soon. Oh, uh, okay. Because he's basically it's establishing that he's dying for a different reason. But I don't know why... They made him have a heart attack, yeah. and then it basically seemed like the heart attack was just said. There's something more dramatic in that moment, yeah. And then he gets the cancer. Like I guess it's needed later. so that he can't be, so that Mike's not arrested. If he's just mm. you, you need a, an emergency to stop Mike being arrested, exactly. so he can go yeah. to the hospital. Uh, out of interest, I've forgotten this. I don't remember when I was taking notes. Is it in the script? Is this written as something? Is this written as a scene, or is this written as Leroy's story? Like, are we? It's written completely as a scene. Like, as in, we, we visualise this. Yeah, so it is implied that we would see it. Yeah. Anyway, uh, they basically tell Mike that he has to get out of the room for whatever they're doing. And now we get to... This whole sequence in the hospital is my favourite part of the script. From that story, and then the next bit, all joining together for this sort of, like, ten or so pages that was my favourite part. So you have this story that's creepy and cool. And then Mike goes out into the hospital... And uh, it's empty, the corridors are empty, and it starts, like, strobe lighting. And he sees a sheep that's, like, <laughs> it's... It, the sheep is, like, frozen and not moving, just staring at him, like, punctuated by a strobe light. Which is... I can see how that could be funny to some people, but just the weirdness of it made it feel genuinely nightmarish to me. Instead of, like... Because yeah. you're hearing baaing and things, and I can see how that would be funny. Like, a sheep appearing in a strobe light and going, bah, is random and silly. But it, it, I think it worked as a sort of, what the fuck? And it we, works with the with the intro scene. The in, yeah, because uh, we didn't mention this, but when they're killing the sheep, uh, Mike is hesitant to do it. He doesn't, wanna, he doesn't want to do it. And his dad just mm. sort of takes it off him and goes, and carries on going through him. So, so clearly, like, his one is that he's afraid... I assume that he's just a... It's not particularly killing mm. so that he's afraid of death because then this hospital scare is involved with death mm. and then also, I suppose, coupled with his father dying. I yeah. suppose his sort of focus is death, although he's probably... He's got the least clear fear <laughs> besides um, besides comedy, kid. Yeah. Uh, so then the sheep starts running towards him and it says that it, it, it's staccato in from the punctuated visibility of everything, which is just a cool way of wording it more than anything. Yeah. Uh, so you're seeing it come towards him between the flashes. And then Mike follows the sheep into the morgue, which is flooding. And again, strobe lights going off, and we see Pennywise appear in between the flashes. And then he sees the mutilated corpse of the kid from the mine. And it starts talking to him and frightening him. This, this The body of the kid who's been killed and torn apart by Pennywise. And it starts doing the usual Pennywise, talking about floating and everything. And the walls start closing in, and it says that it's like shepherding him closer to the mutilated body that he obviously wants to be far away from. Which, yeah, that was cool. It's like, it's... 
And I like the description, shepherding him closer. It's another, another good example mm. of them making it evocative and something that I can understand when I'm reading it. He's getting pushed closer and closer to this body that he doesn't want to talk to at all. Uh, and that's sort of it. That was my one disappointment with it, was that it kind of just sort of deflated then. Like, he's he's confronted with this thing, and then what? Nothing. How I said before, where every single scene where it's adding... It like where it's introducing more kids' fears. It's adding something to the powers. I think that this is the first one where it just one it doesn't add anything. Two, it comes right after that flashback. So it's basically just saying, yeah, he's also ha- he is definitely here. Mm. Like he's he's also following Mike too. Mm. And that's just kind of it. It's it's mm. probably if if you cut this out, I don't think mm. there'd be any problem. Yeah, like as in story wise, it's interesting and it's mm. good. It's a good scene that I enjoyed, but. If you like, if you had to trim this I, film, I think this it could come out. It hurts that it follows on from the highlight of the flashback as well, because that flashback yeah, is my exactly. favorite part of the script, and then it, it it's just a step down. Mike leaves and he runs into the rest of them, so we have all the kids together now. So it's less segmented, and this sort of feels like this is when the second act begins, because now they're a group, a team, and they all get onto the subject of how they've seen Pennywise. And it stops being a thing that they think about and becomes a thing that, like, yeah, no, I've seen this too. And this is when they start coming to the conclusion that Pennywise can make itself relate to their fears. And this was the part that I felt was a bit clumsy, a bit on the nose. They all they all explain, like, I'm seeing this because I'm afraid of this. Uh, I, I agree with you about the part where Beverly says that she saw blood and then... And then they go, what, what's that got to do with anything? And Richie says, because blood always freaks a girl out. And Beverly says, wow, you don't, you really don't know shit about girls, do you? Like that, yeah. that was funny, but it was just a bit, a bit explicit. I didn't mind that she said it out loud because then you got the kind of, the again, Comedy. from, yeah, yeah. The next kind of funny reaction where it's, they describe like the kids actually recoil in disgust. Yes, that's funny. However, it's followed by something that I thought would annoy you specifically which is Beverly's mind goes to dark places to her father mm. and what being a woman might mean to him now. And I thought this would piss you off because you don't like when scripts write things that you don't know how you're meant to visualise. I think it was just because it was segmented between really good bits mm. and it was a scene that I felt like it just needed to happen when they eventually came together. Mm. I gave it a bit more slack. I remember rereading this paragraph, mm. like this tiny little action, because it is kind of strange mm. and i read it and thought oh he's not gonna like that bit it's just on the nose it's just yeah. a, it's just an on the nose part of a very on the nose sequence I well think. that was a problem the one that really kind of made me go what why are you making that conclusion is that they suddenly they start going like they, they try to explain to you why he's a clown like he's a yeah. clown because it means kid kids kids will come up to him. It's a perfect cover. I think it was that. I'm like, it's not the it's not the perfect. Not only cover. is it not the perfect cover, but he very rarely is acting in a way that needs a cover because, like him, him, exactly. him sitting there with a ventriloquist dummy of a dead corpse. He's not he's not being inconspicuous, and him going in a mine, exactly. going ah, and charging at someone. He's never he's never trying to blend in. Is he? <laughs> it's not needed as a cover. But, mm. well, that's one of the things. This is why Ben's part is so important with him reading. He explains the history of Derry a bit more. Yeah. He explains how 
Pennywise is a historical thing that has been plaguing this town for a long time. Kids go missing. There's lots of tragedy in the town. This is something that, guess what? The 80s version doesn't go into. And it's quite interesting. Because, um, <laughs> fuck it. We didn't have the budget and we didn't try. So this, this version actually does explain that Pennywise has been preying on Derry for a long, long time. And yeah, part of it is... It makes some sense of why he's a 19th century clown. I don't know if this is a recurring thing in Stephen mm. King at all, but I liked that because, again, I've my only other experience of Stephen King is the film of The Shining. Have you not seen the short obviously in, I've completely forgot he did that. I have seen that. Have you right. seen Stand By that, Me? That's, no, I haven't. Okay. But that that's happy Stephen King. That's different. Apart, apart from the, the rape in prison and the man being wrongly accused of murdering his wife. That's the and, the guy, and the guy who kills himself when he finally gets free of prison because he's been institutionalised. Apart from that stuff, it's a fucking feel-good hit of the summer. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's the non-supernatural Stephen King stuff. <laughs> okay, fine. <laughs> It it was oh it's it's the other miserable films, <laughs> um, but in The Shining, obviously a big a a big bit of it is that it's about one that this madness is part of the place, like it's part of yeah. a cultural thing because it's going back to how in the film at least I don't know how it relates to the book, but it's the whole like the Native Americans were slaughtered there, yes, and then it's become like a historical thing that repeats itself, and here yes. it's definitely very much the same with this town. Uh, it's literally. 28 years, isn't it? Yeah. They repeat. The, 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 re the repetition thing, I think, is unique to this in The Shining, but there is definitely always a, a focus on, on the... Because they're all set in these small towns, and they always have history. Mm. Even, like, Salem's Lot. The history is nothing to do with what's going on now, but there is a dark history to the town. Cause just, just to give it a bit... Just to give the location personality as well. They're always mm. set in small towns. The, there are a lot of tropes. There, like I know writers have voices, but Stephen King has so many very, very specific things that he reuses, and that <laughs> is one of them, definitely. I, I wouldn't be surprised if this bit has been rewritten. Mm. I definitely wouldn't be surprised, if, or if it's just a bit. I like the clearer. setting of it though. That's the, the one part I did like was the set that it's happening yeah. amongst the Fourth of July celebrations. This was another part, as with the flashback sequences, where I thought maybe the budget came into it because even though it's not much. It is still, you have to get together lots of people, you have to get together all the production design for a 4th of July celebration and the fireworks. I can see how that might cost money, but it was a nice mm. setting. I, I thought it, it it meant that it wasn't all dreary and dark. It was, it, it's, yeah. it's a moment of colour and, and of happiness. Like They do joke around, I need these kids to be doing other things than having trauma. And it is nice yeah, exactly. when they do joke around. Like, there's the bits throughout where... The, the the baby kid is talking about what I f what forgot what he called it the the water he has a special name for the oh gray water gray water and they're all like what the hell is gray water you're making it up but it's it's like the sewage water that he's hypochondriac about again yeah, yeah. and all of that yeah. stuff I think is good because I need I don't want the kids to just be trauma machines <laughs> like that <laughs> yeah. just there to be frightened by things it's nice to, to give them intimate moments of, of well I think it's, it's, a, it's a thing that frequently pops up in these kind of period not period I suppose mm. like the 80s because 4th of July is such a big thing for them mm. obviously but also it's it's an easy excuse to one have all the characters get together like out mm. in public and then too i liked that in this particular one it gave reason for the whole fireworks bit that's coming up i think i remember reading in the original it's just stone throwing yes which isn't yes. as 
It might be a bit well, too bombastic. In the other yeah. film, it doesn't happen at all. How about that? It doesn't happen at all. Because <laughs> the, the other shitty film, I've mentioned how shit the other film is before. The other film, the child section, is broken up. It's not even a whole thing. It's it's framed by the adults. Mm. So the adults remembering it. So you don't even... So it's it's an hour and a half. This script is obviously like two hours. The child bit is an hour and a half. And even then, it's broken up by a framing device. So the child bit is heavily condensed to just sort of the kids... Yeah, yeah kids encountering Pennywise on their own. There's none of the adventure, none of that stuff. It's it's so crap and mishandled. And this is this is the kind of scene that that really needs, a scene of them bonding, a scene of, mm. of just something other than Pennywise propping up and going, we float down here, what, what, uh, uh. And then that's, that's it. But it's, 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 <laughs> it's, 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 it's needed. Uh, and then as you, the, the fight that's coming with the bullies doesn't happen. The bullies in the other film, by the way, there's no explanation. There's none of that whole the dad beats them stuff. It's just they're there because they're a plot device. And they're barely there. They're, they only show up right at the end. There's none of the sort of pre-established stuff with the bullies. It's just so crap. Anyway, the bullies on 4th of July, they've like smuggled in these illegal fireworks. This is something that as English people, I, I don't know if you understand it a bit more, but to, as an English person, I don't really understand where, where how... Where the line is drawn between your American normal fireworks and your American super fireworks, but you have them, um, and they're they're using these illegal fireworks, um, and they're causing mischief. They're being rogues and rapscallions, and, and they come across the loser club, and they they're after the black kid again, aren't they? Or are they are they after him? They're after one of them. Yeah, well, they, they chase after Mike specifically because mm. um, because they spot him coming out of the hospital, like we said earlier. Travis basically goes, I got beaten up because of this guy. I want to beat him up. Yeah, his dad and beat then, him uh, And then the, then the loser club watch Mike getting chased, and then they try to help Mike. Yeah, it's Beverly's idea, Beverly being the it. cool girl. She has a, a, a plan, uh, and basically what happens, long story short, is they ambush the bullies with their own fireworks and they have like a, a firework battle they like shoot yeah. it they shoot it through the windshield of the van the bullies are driving um yeah and it's, it like, it's like, it's like that's fucking dangerous you're gonna fucking kill them yeah <laughs> like, i thought I, I genuinely <laughs> thought they were gonna kill the bullies and it was gonna be like a guilt thing yeah but again that's a that's a clear potential budget thing that could change into as you said the stone fight. It does eventually become a stone fight in this. They have the firework fight and then it becomes them throwing rocks at each other. But they have yeah, they have a firework fight with the bullies. I can definitely see this bit changing. Yes. I mean that's really it. It's a fun sequence. It's another sort of it's 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 an adventure sequence. This is like a bonding fun. There's no real peril here. This is them yeah. Getting their one up on the bullies. Woo, we're working like, as a team. It has, it has several purposes because it's one, it's to drive Mike into the main group. Mm. It's to further the idea that the, the, the bully is just getting angry and angry with the kids. And now he has a reason against the whole group as opposed to just just one. And then the main thing is that it basically pushes them to the pier to go in this house. Yes. Right. They all go into this house and they are separated by both crows like supernatural crows and also the floor starts to give way this sort of uh, basically leads to the kids being separated they originally go into the house to take cover and hide from the bullies don't they they mm. go there they hide in the basement 
the bullies sort of come in looking for him, and I think it's implied that Pennywise actually shields the kids from them, because there's a bit where yes. like the bullies yeah. like should be looking right at them and can't see them, and Pennywise is like Pennywise wants them for himself, so stops that happening, mm. and the bullies leave. The kids start to leave. Crows start going around. The floor gives away, and they are all separated. But in particular, I think it's Eddie. Eddie is the yeah. babied kid. He is left isolated. And he kind of he falls and breaks his arm. Yes. There's a fridge in this basement. It's just like disused. And blood starts pouring from it. And he's like, obviously, he's very nervous and sensitive. So he freaks out instantly. And he runs to a rocking chair to kind of like get away from the ground, you know, elevate himself from the ground, sit on the chair and be away from the blood, which then circles around the chair. So he's completely surrounded. He's taking refuge on this chair. And then the fridge opens and there's Pennywise in there and he unfurls from the fridge, which is quite cool, and floats over to Eddie, again, holding the balloon to, like, levitate. And it says that he, like, floats just above the blood, which is a cool image. I like that. And then Pennywise starts doing his usual talking thing and he says over the course of this that he is intentionally frightening them because you all taste so much better when you're afraid. And I, I really, really like that motivation for why he's doing this. Because in other scripts, yeah. these ghosts, they appear, they do their freaky shit, and it feels like they're just doing it because they can't kill anyone yet because then the story will end. So they have to give him a reason for why he's basically fucking around. And it's to frighten them so they taste better. And why I like that motivation is because it's possibly the most evil thing I can think of. Like, he could just kill them and eat them. <laughs> He doesn't have to frighten them. It's not necessary to his survival. He just does it because it it's like salt or seasoning. It just makes it a little bit better. But he yeah. is so evil that he is like, yeah, I'm going to psychologically scar you before I eat you, just so that just so that it's a little bit better for me. Not necessary to in in a lesser script, it would be necessary to his survival. Like he wouldn't yeah. be able yeah. to eat them. Unless they were afraid. But in this, it's just because he's so evil that he just wants them to taste a little bit better. And then being afraid is is what helps him with that. And it, I really it like that. him with the, the whole clown thing because it makes him more just enjoyably evil, yeah. I think, as well. Yeah. And again, it, like you said, it gives reason to everything. I, I liked, I'm glad that you brought up the, um, the fact that I think they do li- literally call it later on in the film. They call it the equivalent of salting. Right. Like... The, like it's a flavoring to to mm. him, and so the, he doesn't say it in this particular scene, but he says it later on. And I just wanted to bring mm. this up while I remembered, because there is also another bit where they mention it in an, a way earlier scene mm. when the kids try to report that shoe to the police, mm. and there's something where the police compares the kids' excuses to salt. Oh right, or something like that, and so it sort of gives the when you going back and thinking about that now it sort of gives the impression that the police officer at that time was also under the influence of pennywise and there was another scene later on like that where a character says just something that sounds like pennywise and makes you realize that they are also having an influence in that scene yeah and i liked the the smaller less obvious moments involving the supernatural side i liked that there's stuff where if you were to come back and watch the film a second time, mm. obviously it's different because it's a script. We can scroll back and forth, and I went mm. back to double-check that moment. But 
to be able to watch it again and hear the police chief say something to that effect mm. and thinking, oh yeah, just it's it's something that has, yeah, something that grows on you with every watch, which I like. So the kids, the rest of the kids leap in to save Eddie. I think they jump on top of Pennywise, which made him a little yeah. less threatening. Like when he's just yeah. has a lot of kids like collapse on top of him. But then <laughs> Beverly takes a firework and launches it into his face, which frightens him off. I like mm. that. Um, a, better than a fucking slingshot. It's basically just stuck. They, they describe it as the firework is just wedged in his burning eye socket. And ah. He pulls it out. That's cool. Uh, but, yeah, I, 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 I thought that was really cool. And then he turns into orange gas. He goes back into the fridge. Yeah. That felt like a cheap move. It's a cheap move. It's a move from the book, because that is in the book and in the other film. That is I his don't, true I don't form. doubt that. It's his true form. Mm. It's crap. I agree. I don't like anything where evil is personified as gas or a cloud. <laughs> I just hate it. When evil is a, gla- a gas or a cloud or a gelatinous blob, I, I hate that stuff. It's just... I, I don't even know why Pennywise needs to have a true form. We're going to get onto this later. Yeah. But like in the other one, in the in the eighties, thing he has a true form where he's a giant spider and all these things. Why does he need a true form? Why? Why does mm. he can't? Is that why? I think it's scary the fact that he doesn't have a form at all. Mm. Like having a true form kind of ruins the point mm-hmm. of him being everything else. But again, we'll get onto that later. Yeah. Well, I would say that this more or less marks the point for me. No, we're we're approaching the part now where it starts to lose a little bit of its power. And I think that that is because Pennywise has already been made weaker. Like, they've just survived an encounter with him, and it was quite easy. And then he turned into gas and ran away. He ran away as well. That's the other... He he ran away, which is not... I think think the firework thing works, because that's cool. Like, having the firework wedged in his eye socket, that's Mm. creepy. Uh, Them jumping on him... Doesn't mm. uh, that that makes it kind of like a like a pratfall comedy film? It makes it like, like something that would the happen. Bad guy just at... That's something that would happen in like one of those stupid kids and adventure things, like the Famous Five or whatever. They'd fall on yeah. the bad guy, and he'd be like, "No, you blasted kids!" <laughs> Not the thing that literally tore a child apart and used its body as a ventriloquist dummy. It exactly, it, it shouldn't yeah. have kids fall on him and. An inconvenience and like that, but also he runs away. It's not like he leaves for another reason. He he runs away. Yeah, as I think gas. He, I think you can. Obviously, he has to go away in that scene yeah. because there's more later on. I think that they could have done it in another way besides yeah, changing to gas and and running away. <laughs> there could have been a cooler, more frightening way of making him basically mm. just saying like, I've, "I'm done toying with you." Yeah. More than a, I'm retreating. But at this point, ooh, thunder! That's going to be appropriate. Because we're getting to the part where there's thunder in the script. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> but, um, so at this point, it is inferred Pennywise is now going after the kids with renewed purpose. Like, he's targeting them now. Before, he's just going after the kids in the town. Now he is after the loser club. Yeah, he wants to get those meddling kids. Yes. So they, they go home. They all After this attack, they all start going home, and they bring Eddie home. And his mother comes out and is and she's like, what happened? Because obviously, as we said, she's paranoid about him. And, and 
won't let anything happen to him that might hurt him. So she finds him and is like, this is your fault. And he's like, no, they were, these kids were bullying me. And it's like, yeah, but they wouldn't be bullying you if you weren't hanging around with these losers and that tramp. And she like <laughs> brings him away and goes, you're not allowed to see those kids anymore. They also see on the TV that this guy from the library that was introduced in one stage direction has been arrested yeah. for the murders. So basically... No one's investigating Pennywise anymore. So the kids are like, we're, we're really on our own now. Adults are going to be no use. We've just lost Eddie. We're not allowed to see Eddie anymore. And uh, at this point, Mike says something and he goes, uh, oh, welcome to the Loser Club, kid. And that's where you get your title from. That's, that's why they're the Loser Club. Then we get our next time jump. And before we have the time jump, we actually have another flashback. And uh, do you want to describe this sequence while I... Shit, that was lightning. That was actual lightning. <laughs> Basically, it's just cutting back to, yeah, like a... Um, it's very early America, like log cabins yeah. and bars and all of that. And it's about a man that just walks into a local bar, the Silver Dollar Bar, mm. and takes out his axe and just slaughters a, a whole card game group, like three guys, in quite... Gory detail, gory enjoyable detail. Mm -hmm. I like how it was described in this. It, how he buries the, his axe into one guy's head and the guy st stands up for a second and then mm. just sits down in defeat. And then another one where he, uh, he swings the axe into the belly of a guy who's lying down and then he describes him getting the, the axe out. I believe it was like like pulling an axe out of soft wood. Yeah. Like he wiggles it back and forth before dislodging it and it's just little things like that. I thought this might be your favourite scene of the film. Just because it was well described, the violence. Yeah, I, think. I, I did like the, all the, everyone else in the saloon is like completely ignoring it. Yeah, they're just like whatever because Pennywise is is manipulating everyone. He's playing piano. He's like on the oh, yeah. he's, he's on the piano. Like <laughs> hold on. Oh, and, and one little detail that I really loved as well that I thought you would laugh quite a bit yeah. at is the so basically he starts the attack by swinging the axe onto the table and chopping off one guy's hand, mm. and the guy goes under the table in a panic, and then when he like thinks the guy's distracted. The guy takes his good hand to go up and mm. grab the hand that's been chopped off, and then at that moment the guy chops off the other hand. <laughs> it is funny. That was kind of dark, funny mm. uh, like action that I thought that that's definitely that's that to me says like Harrison action scene. <laughs> yeah, it's up there. It's definitely up there as my favorite. And then one of the guys who's been there seeing this all runs outside in a panic and goes to the toilet. And is dragged down the toilet and eaten by Pennywise. Which, again, is yeah. another great instance of Pennywise's evil. Because he's not caused all of this, you know, because he needs all these people to die. He's caused all of this mayhem and death to frighten one person so that he'll taste better. Yeah. Which is, again, yeah. that's so enjoyably evil. He's like, he's killed yeah. all these people just so he can eat one of them and he'll taste a little bit better. That's funny. I like and, that. Yeah. And then, basically, it's just revealed that this is a story being told by Ben, mm -hmm. uh, and it's one of the many stories from this this dark history of yeah. Old Derry. And honestly, this was the first scene I thought of when you said it's a budget problem. Yeah, oh, definitely. This, this scene's not going to be in the film. I would be surprised if I see this filmed, because it's, it's something that could be completely avoided. It doesn't really add to... We already know that it's got a dark past. This mm. uh, It could be um, described. It could be described, or in the trailer, I just remembered now, they have things where they show a slide projector. Yeah. Yeah. And that's not in the script at any point, so I feel like he could just be explaining it on a slide projector. I feel that like that's probably where this is going to come in. <sighs> yeah, um, it's a shame. Again, the, the scene's really fun, and I would have liked this scene, 
but it's definitely one of those things where if you were making the dream project and you had all the money in the world, put it in, but you don't, it's not going to be in it, sadly. I agree. So, as we, as you said, this is Ben telling the story, and the kids are piecing all this stuff together about how Pennywise has been around forever. They're confirming that he does all of the stuff that we know he does. And they basically resolve, like, right, we have to fight. And they, they say this, they decide they're going to make a plan, and they need to get Stan in on it as well, because it's the day of Stan's bar mitzvah. Stan's having his bar mitzvah. They want him so that they can get their numbers. Because Will has just sort of decided that Pennywise can't get them when they're together. This was one of the things I mentioned where I was like, where the fuck did that come from? I, I can't remember the exact line in the script mm. where he says that, so I might be wrong just for not remembering the exact wording. Mm. But I felt like it was more the fact that they use the idea that they hear the fear makes mm. you taste better. And so I think the idea is that they're saying if we stick with a group where we one, we can't get separated and two, we just don't feel afraid then he's, not, he's less likely to attack us. I never got the impression that they said we'll be invincible if we just stick together. I just felt like it was more of a logic. I mean, I guess... I, I, I understand the logic. I understand that connection. Yeah, fear makes you taste better. Mm. Ergo, us being together will make us stronger fighting him because we'll be less afraid. It still just feels like an arbitrary thing that he's very confident in. I mean, he, yeah. he says, like, trust me, we'll be fine. Which is a bit like, okay, really? And and it's it's, it's this vague thing where there the, is a problem with the book and in particular that other film where they just sort of decide we're going to beat him with the power of friendship and love. And it's a bit like, A, it's really awful and sentimental and B, they have to come to that abstract conclusion somehow and it's never going to feel mm. concrete enough for me how they would arrive at that conclusion. There's also, linking in with this, there is another thing that he, he sort of just decides later on that we'll I'll come back to that feels a bit like, okay, where the fuck did you get that information from? Seems like a stretch. But in the fucking 80s film, I don't know if this is in the book, there is an even worse example of this where it comes to them as a mummy. It, it comes to one of the kids dressed as a mummy. Oh, you said like the universal, he's scared of the universal monsters. No, he's not. That's just, that's just, he comes dressed as universal monsters because they are universally frightening, I guess. Oh. No, no one has a specific fear of them. And he starts, he's got a book of birds because he's a bird watcher and this, this mummy is coming to him and he just starts saying the names of birds and that defeats it. A, why? B, why the fuck did he decide to do that? Ah, mummy, sparrow, woodpecker. It's <laughs> <laughs> just I, this isn't in this script, thank God. But where the fuck does that come from? Mm. Uh, anyway, back to this script though. I just wanted to get that out because it pisses me off. <laughs> um, so the kids separate. They decide they're gonna go get Stan after his bar mitzvah. But in the meantime, Beverly goes home to find her father who is either being manipulated by Pennywise or or it is Pennywise in in his form I think it's I think the, the what they're trying to get at is that it's half and half right it's, it's like with later with the bully the hatred's already there it's just that Pennywise is giving them the extra push to do mm. something and I think in this case the father's already creepy it's just that Pennywise is just yeah. kind of giving the go ahead like he's just yeah. put uh, like the final straw really well to to clarify 
what happens is uh, she gets home and is, and her dad like instantly comes to her going like, I heard you've been messing around with boys. Everyone in mm. town saying you're hanging around with a group of boys and that you're the only girl in the group. And basically he says like, you're, you're a woman now. Um, what What womanly things have you been doing with these boys? And he starts saying how like these boys want one thing and lots of girls ruin themselves by giving in to that one thing. And then he starts to actively try to rape her. But she fights him off, and um, and then he says something about floating, which obviously indicates that, that Pennywise yeah. is, is heavily involved. So Beverly like eventually reunites with the boys and says, like, I can't go home. We have to fight this thing now. Because yeah. I cannot go back home. We have to do this tonight. And that's sort of, again, the instigation in that this is why, yeah, tonight, as well as sort of because of Beverly. It's half because of Beverly, but as well as just the idea of, you know, if we don't do this now, he's going to get one of us. He's going to pick us off one by one. Mm. So we might as well do it while we have everyone already. Eddie, meanwhile, uh, the babied kid, his mother's called the doctor uh, to come and see him. And the doctor asks his yeah. mother to leave, and basically he tells Eddie that the the EpiPen is a placebo, and that his mother's basically made up his disease because I guess she wants control of him. She she likes him, she likes him being dependent on him. So she's sort of invented all of these things wrong with him, and and is controlling him. He finds this out and says to his mom, "Like I've had enough of your shit. I'm going out with my friends. Fuck you." And he leaves the house. Yeah, weird scene. Okay, um, why was it weird? For me, just one, the fact that this Doctor character is just suddenly showing up, like, as in, I, I know the fact that you can't introduce everyone ahead of time, but I mean, mm. they introduced the one-armed man that literally has two lines of action in this entire film. Mm. But it's the fact that this Doctor character has come out of nowhere, so mm. my first instant thought was, that's Pennywise. Mm. Like, basically, when he gets the mother to leave the room, and then Doctor Hander kind of reveals this to him, he it's described as, like, he leans in too close for comfort for Eddie, for a moment it's creepy. So for me, mm. I'm thinking, and then he says, Eddie, do you know what a placebo is? So in my head, I think this is Pennywise and he's trying to trick him into thinking that his EpiPen is fake. Mm. So he'll go out and then he'll have an attack. Okay. Like, I thought it was him. You thought into this way. You thought into this way more than I did. <laughs> that was instantly like, the, in, yeah. it was from the moment Dr. Hander showed up. I mm. thought, okay, this is a trick of mm. some kind because it was just, he was just happened to be there. Uh, and then he had a whole scene, which I thought, why would you introduce a character a hundred pages into this hundred and twenty page script mm. who has like a full scene, uh, and, and then him kind of creepily trying to turn him against the mum? I, I was waiting for the placebo for it, his epipen to not be a placebo. Mm. Well, like, well, it is. So, <laughs> so I just think there, could, there could have been there could have been a way that one just make the doctor not creepy, I suppose. Mm. Or two, just f make a way that Eddie like opens the medicine cabinet or something like that and finds that there's not actually real medicine or something. Yeah. Rather than like his emotion, like obviously he still gets the emotional conclusion of him saying, "I'm leaving," like this is yeah. me making a decision. But he doesn't get the realization himself. He's just told it. I guess. So Stan has his bar mitzvah, which in hindsight seems almost entirely re redundant and irrelevant. Uh, but he has his bar mitzvah and they collect him. Something that means they're becoming men. The entire purpose of that is the fact that, yeah, it's the fear of becoming a man. 
which obviously plays more into the book with a certain scene. Which has a kind of soft equivalent here. They all go to collect weapons, and I like that they pick up all these things, because that's, to my knowledge, not something they do in the book. Like, chainsaws and just all these things that they're going to get to fight this clan. Like, really stocking up on loads of crap. And then um, Will says, I know how we can find it, because every attack has taken place near water in, in some sense. Like, it's the sink, it's the day it floods... Which I like that the the the, the day the, the flooding is why it came out. Yeah, yeah, it's logical. Uh, so it operates in the sewers, the the showery thing in the synagogue. There's water at all of these places except the morgue. But I thought it flooded because Pennywise was there. I thought it was just because there's piping there or whatever. Because the basement, the basement with the ventriloquist dummy, it has a leak, and then because Pennywise is there, it expands into a full-on flooding. But the morgue, I don't know. Also, it makes yeah. it makes sense with the um, the 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 clan bit because they're all by that canal. And I guess that that sequence has, when you think about it, uh, renewed relevance because I suppose Pennywise is is it suggesting that Pennywise made them burn the place down? Like Pennywise wanted that. To, Pennywise made that happen so that there'd be fear, so that he could eat people. I think it's partly for the fear, and then partly also that they jump in the river. Yeah, that's like a, a clever thing if that's the case. Like he, he's he's take, he's killing two birds with one stone, and it made a, an all-you-can-eat buffet of of really nice salty food. So anyway, uh, Will comes to this conclusion. I get the conclusion. It seems a bit like definite one hundred percent. This is what's happening. What about the the house? Was that fl- oh, it was by the pier, wasn't it? Yeah, uh, okay. I think it was good that they uh, that basically he just go he goes back to all the spots. I think it's important that they show him going back to all the spots and realizing this to mm. save time. Obviously, you could just have it that he says, "I noticed they're all by the water when when they're all doing the weapons." But it's if the audience hasn't already caught up at this point, the fact that he's going back. And it's it's a visual representation of him overthinking. Like, what's the connection here? I think it's good to show, and it's it's just a, it's just like a, a series of shots. Like you can do that montage in twenty seconds, and it's it. I think it benefits for it. It it, it lends some kind of weight to the whole floating thing as well. Yeah, like he has a connection to water. That makes sense. So they make this connection and decide that it must live in the sewers. Also, it's another another reason that it has to be tonight that they do this is because it's now in the middle of a thunderstorm. So there is water everywhere. Water's everywhere. He he's, can come. So they go, they decide, right, we're going to go take the fight to him. As all of this setup has happened, somewhere along the way, Travis has been manipulated by it into killing his father. He's playing with a gun. And he's, like, shooting, and his father comes in and goes, like, takes the gun off him and beats him and kind of humiliates him in front of his friends. And then Penny, there's a balloon over a mailbox or something, and he looks in that, and there's a knife. He no, takes it's the knife it. from way back in Act 1, where he lost it's it. the knife river. from before. Yeah. He kills his dad. Then his friends walk in and see him sat there watching the Pennywise show on TV or something. Yeah. And basically, it, it, Pennywise has completely got a grip on Travis now. He's not just a bully, he is actually being manipulated by Pennywise and has a, a renewed drive to go and catch the losers and, and make them pay. So he kind of forces the other bullies into coming with him so that they can kill 
the, the loser club. So now we basically have the losers going to find it in the sewer. And I guess Pennywise, as, as a precaution or a preemptive measure, has got the bullies after the losers. So they're in pursuit. They get in the sewer. They start start looking for it. And the boys are chasing them. Help me. <laughs> yeah, I'm, 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 I'm trying to remember this as well. So they see writing on the wall, they realise that Penny... Well, they, they, they see Pennywise as a name for the first time. Oh yeah, they, they basically, they, they run down into the sewers. Uh, they go to the, I called it like a foundry from before, the place where the first bully got killed. They go back to there, and then Travis's two friends basically say, Oh, I'm not going in there. Like, that's where the other guy got killed. And he stabs, one, and Travis stabs one of his friends, and then says to the other one, like, What do you think? And then they go, yeah. they finally come across, like, a a narrower part of the tunnel and they crawl through and they come out onto this they essentially it's described as membranous chamber mm, it's got a membrane there's a membrane of like alieny gunk they describe it as like a waterbed that's full of spiders yeah like water and spiders and obviously i feel like that's a that's the link back to when i saw that i thought that they were actually going to go full with like you said how his true form is a spider mm. i thought that they were going to go into that but I assume it's just a reference to it. So the bullies, they realise that Travis is too big to fit through this pipe that the losers have crawled through. And so he sends one of the others through and goes, you get him because you can fit. That Travis gives him the knife. And when the bully gets through, he falls and pierces the membrane with the knife. Yeah. And that means that the spiders crawl over him and he gets killed by the spiders. And the losers all fall through the membrane down into this... Chamber, this is right. This is now we are at the point where this gets silly and for me loses a lot of its scariness and becomes stupid. It was the first part where he suddenly had trouble visualizing everything, yes, because it was such a sudden change to the fact that now we're in this cavern where there's a massive oculus on the floor and then there's seven waterfalls around them, but the waterfalls are going up to uh to an island on the ceiling, and on the ceiling is also another. Oculus, I believe. Whoa, what? Yeah, and Beverly, Beverly being the impetuous type that she is, just goes like, fuck it, let's go. And she goes into the waterfall and it takes her up onto this island. So she floats up, the kids follow her, they all go up onto this island. And when they get up there, it's way bigger than it looked from down there. So the geography is all kind of shifting. And there's like a lake that they... They have to traverse. They land in the pool and they have to get to the island. Because as they're swimming over to the island, one of them, whose name escapes me, <laughs> Stan, Stan suddenly is swimming and then he looks down and he sees like a giant yellow eye, which is later revealed to be uh, the deadlight. It's a starfish. It's the eye of a giant starfish is what they say. Yeah. And if this, again, we're being quite vague now, because even though I'd say that the, the action isn't particularly, it doesn't get, like, noticeably worse in its describing, it's all so sudden, all this weird change and the weird tonal shift from into a, basically, yeah, a fantasy thing. They basically kind of go into the upside down, but, like, it's a weirder, more over-the-top upside down, and... After an entire script where there's been no indication of, like, some kind of other realm. It's just like, yeah, here we go. Yeah, it's just, it's so sudden that you're dropped into, one, the membrane's kind of weird, but mm. he has a control of water, so that makes sense to me. Spider's creepy, kind of makes sense to me. Dropping into this pool where suddenly gravity makes no sense and there's a portal to another dimension, that was, this was the line where I was 
like, okay. So the kids all start biting the giant starfish with their chainsaws and everything. And along the way, Will gets separated from the group. No, so they're swimming over to the island. Stan is sort of paralysed by looking at this eye, mm. and they drag him away. Yeah, they fight this this tentacle starfish creature, and eventually they get back, they get to the island. Uh, when they get to the island, the rest of the pool is turned to ice. Why? Because it's a fantasy land. And on this island is a crypt with an obsidian stone heptagon-shaped structure. Yeah, well, it's, it's, it is hard to visualise indeed. Exactly. And it's also rushed. Yeah, it's, it's very it's rushed. Like, all of this that we're talking about here is like within a page. The rest of the script is comparatively slow and measured, like... We are the the brevity with which we are covering these events is proportional to the brevity with which it happens in the script, and you know compared to how much time we focused on these other events, you know like um, Beverly's scene with her father, that is we are fo- we are focusing on that as much as the script did, and we are focusing on this as much as the script did. Like this is proportional. And so in in this heptagonal structure, there is a trap door. A child-sized trapdoor with an ancient cosmic marking. Will goes through on his own because he's the main character, so he goes through first. And then obviously, because he's just gone through this tiny trap hole, it shuts behind him and leaving him trapped out there to fight Pennywise on his own. Pennywise basically just tries to scare him by saying, you know, like, I killed your brother. Mm. Will saying, I'm not afraid of you. And Pennywise saying, you know, your brother wasn't either but until I started chewing on his muscles. He He's also like spidery now, isn't he? He's got like spider limbs or something. Uh, the description is... Uh, I'm sure he has spider limbs. Pennywise is clinging to the wall, joints to all turned and wrong like a spider. That's fine. That's better than him being a spider. So the lights go out and Will uses uh, the flare to light up the room, kind of similar to how the aerosol can was used in that mm-hmm. earlier scene. Uh, Pennywise attacks him, causing him to drop all the rest of his flares into the pool. So he's lost that and his first flare that he's now lit is dwindling. Will sort of slowly backs into a corner and then has a hallucination that the flare has actually turned into Georgie's severed arm, which, of course, frightens him and he throws it away into the water and the last flare goes out. And so now the, the pool starts illuminating and we get a, a full-body shot of it in his final form, I suppose. Will grabs for the baseball bat, swings at it, Pennywise knocks it away and he gets uh, Will's neck in his mouth and he's just about to jump down before uh, an arrow flies into Pennywise's face. And the entire group come out of a reflecting pool in this cavern, in the trapdoor. I have no idea <laughs> what, how. And then they, they all attack him with the crowbar, the chainsaw. The one thing I didn't realise from before when I got to this scene as well is that hubcap, shield and sledgehammer, which sounds quite like charming, like kids fighting back. Hockey stick, nail gun uh, and baseball bat. And they're all just... And the way that I liked it is that Pennywise tries to fend off this Lord of the Flies rebellion. Oh, yeah, I remember that, yeah. Pennywise grows bigger and bigger and more grotesque is the way that it's described uh, because they're beating him. And then he gives up on that approach and turns back into Georgie, the brother, all the way back from the beginning, Will's brother. Oh, I remember this bit because it just felt rushed again and completely in the wrong circumstances to work as a scene. Like, they've just been beating him up, and then he... So he turns into Georgie and starts going, like, Don't hurt me, I'm your brother! And 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 it's like, okay, that could have worked, but after the group had all come in and started beating him up, and it's 100% definitely Pennywise, and everyone understands that it is definitely Pennywise, 
There's no, like, the manipulation doesn't work. It's a cliche, it's such a cliche moment as well. Well, it also doesn't work because the scene that we really liked before where he does the crocodile thing, we know he's dead because we just saw his corpse strapped to the, its body. Yeah. We've seen his corpse, like, we know he's dead. Yeah. And it was basically just so that they could do this final thing where Will does the call again, but something's different. I don't know why something's different now, because he did the call just fine before, because that's how he got him down to the basement, and suddenly now the call's not working, and then he's like, oh, okay, it is, it's not Georgie after all. And then uh, lights him on fire using a similar thing with the hairspray and the, to- and the lighter. They kill Pennywise with, with the lighter, and then he deflates like a balloon. And I'm, I'm just going to literally read this from the script, because again, it's so bizarre that we it's 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 so much less mem it's weird that the ending is less memorable than all the other little scenes oh that's i'm struggling so the trap door above them is blown away as if it was sucked off by a cyclone out of the oculus and into what looks like the stars of outer space suddenly the gravity spell wears off and all the kids fall through the ceiling of the stone crypt into the waterfall section from before they plunge into the new pool and then basically they're trying to hurry back through the sewers as before but now the water is rising from the storm that was outside more and more and they basically they, they're stuck in the pipes trying to navigate their way out and then this is when it comes to the the scene with Beverly. Okay, so context time. As far as I know in the 80s film they beat Pennywise then we leave the flashback fine, sword. In the book they defeat Pennywise and then they get lost. And they're lost and they're alone. They don't know what's going on. And what happens is, in order to... They decide that in order to become men, and in order to sort of both, A, to sort of become stronger and more like adults, and B, to sort of come together as a group, they need to lose their virginity. So they all take it in turns to have sex with Beverly. They don't... They don't have an orgy. It's not a child orgy, but... um, it's very disturbing, very unneeded, and it's not in the book presented as a disturb. It's presented as an emotional moment, you know? This is them becoming men. This is a sentimental thing. And it's like, oh, it's fucking creepy. Yeah. No, Stephen, no. <laughs> uh, in, in this, in this, we get a much, much more toned down version where basically they, 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 it says that Beverly is like their muse and is the thing that's inspiring them. She kind of just touches them, touches their faces and gives them the, the strength to... She, to she, she touches everyone on the face in turn. Takes, she basically, it's, it's written in the script as in block caps. She takes Eddie's face in her hands, she takes Stan's face in her hands, and then it goes through with all the, all the loser club. I didn't like this section because, one, it just felt like it was there because of the stuff in the original book. Mm. Also because, one, why is Bev suddenly now their muse when she wasn't... She was. for uh, Throughout the script, Ben has been doing things that he wouldn't do to impress her. Yeah. And a couple, and it's implied that you know, like when she jumps into the waterfall, they follow her. So they clearly, but it felt like they're doing it to impress her or to not be shown up by a girl. I guess the muse thing is a bit of a jump. But my my question is more, what exactly happens after that? Well, it's because, that that's the thing, is that it's because they're lost, they kind of had a, a down moment. Like, they think they're going to drown. One, I've seen lots of scenes in films like that where you know where the water's coming up to the top and they're just like they think they're not going to make it. There's not no point in this where they think that they're just about to I mean Ben says we're dead so dead, but they're just kind of lost and then this scene happens 
And then it cuts to literally right after she finishes by taking Will's face in her hands. One by one, the, and then it cuts to one by one, the kids shoot out the storm pipe. The, the sky is blue. The storm has passed. That's that's what I, like I I read that and went, did I miss something? Yeah. And I was hoping you could explain it to me better, but no, that is just that's what happens, and I. I st- Still don't really get it. It's not like there's a moment where you think that they might have died, or like I know that's all cliche. So it's it's not like me saying, oh, they should have had a moment where it's like where we think that they're dead, and then a single bubble comes up or whatever. But it's the fact that it seems like it's it's setting up like one of those cliche scenes, like the we could maybe die. Let's all have this peaceful moment, and then the moment, literally the moment the peaceful thing happens, they get shot out of a storm pipe. Well, that that was the other thing that confused me, and 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 your interpretation of it has made me think, made me even more confused, in the sense that you just said that this is like them trying to have a peaceful moment. I was confused as to whether or not it was the plan, like if Beverly just thought this would happen. Like I know I'll give them strength because I'm their muse, and then fuck it, something might happen. I I I just genuinely didn't know how because they've been jumping to conclusions throughout i didn't know if they thought this might work or or like as you said if it was just meant as far as they were concerned to be a peaceful moment before they died but even if it did work why i thought that the the whole them being together thing as you said was like okay if they're together then they won't be afraid and it doesn't have power over them but in this case, it's like, no, them being together gives them control? I think you could just read it both ways, because it's either strength or comfort. I think that's what they're going for. Because uh, originally it was just that them being together means that it can't do its thing. But now, them being together means that they can fly. Oh, oh, you think that they... Well, it's described as they shoot out, but I just assumed that it was just because the storm drained... It, you think, like, as in it gives them the power to... <laughs> actually like escape like as in they like fly up <laughs> i don't know that's my point i don't know and i think just by you talking about that i i, I turned on to, uh, to as well what bothered me with the bev thing as well is that it's now suddenly it's not only the fact that they admire her it's that she suddenly seems to know that they all admire her like the you would not go round a group and take everyone's head in their hands unless you thought that you were important to them does that make well, sense I- I know that if us as real opinions were in trouble, that I could single-handedly unite us. And I'd have that confidence. I I know that you all care about me that much. So I can understand that part. Again, like it just, to me, says that she's somewhat aware and it's it's someone it doesn't she's self-aware she's it's not a robot it's not a Westworld (laughs) I wouldn't go so far as to say like it's egotistical but if like (laughs) the vain bitch (laughs) but if if we were in a situation and I went round and I held everyone's faces you would think like yeah exactly what do you think he's doing why does Jack think he's the most important character here (laughs) It's almost like she's sort of like the mother figure. This is the part where, remember earlier we were talking about how Bev isn't defined as being the female one because it's a checklist thing. It's because the characters single her out. Now she is kind of defined as the one, the the, the mother, as you said, that's helping them all it's out. It's the one moment I feel like in this script where it changes from she's defined by other characters as the one woman and it's the moment where she defines herself as the one woman. Yeah. And that, that's why... That, that was just in one of the 
cherry on the cake of the confusing moments. But it's it's confusing and it's there, as you said, purely because there is an equivalent to it in the book that they needed to somehow get around. Exactly. Yeah. So then they've washed up on the shore. Stan sees an old glass bottle on the side of the river. He cu- he breaks it open and slices his. Uh, I was going to say wrist. <laughs> slices his palm. <laughs> the same to make like a blood blood bond yeah well this is again this is another aspect that as a as a script for one film is like what but because we know it's part two it's relevant because what happens in part two is that one of them notices that it is back and then they call the group all together because they are you know bonded by this thing yeah it's and then what happens is that they all go home and some of them have their personal conflicts resolved, and some of them, fuck them, who cares? <laughs> like, the black kid goes home, Mike. and his dad's dead now. Oh, yeah. Oh, and then it has a really <sighs> weird flashback where he explains the circle of life to him. <laughs> the circle of life? Well, it's, it's like the thing from The Lion King, because it cuts back to him. Uh, Leroy shows... Ba- Mike, a baby lamb, freshly born. See, son, everything has a cycle. Just when you think the world couldn't get any colder, something good always grows. Now let's put. Now let's shoot it with the with the Vulcan. It is like it suddenly cuts. It's like if at the end of Lion King, like it suddenly cut back to the scene where sh- like Simba's being shown all of Pride Rock. It's the only brief flashback like that. Yeah, and it's it's out of place. I don't know why. Yeah. I don't know why that's needed. Well, do you agree with me though that like he gets his resolution? Yeah, no and, one else. Uh, Will gets kind of his. What about the other kids? Like Beverly's dad's gonna rape her soon, and that's just completely ignored. Yeah, and then and then I don't know why they all they all chip in money to buy Will a present. Like Will's the only one that's gone through hardship. Yeah, and they say and one of them is it Richie in particular that. It was either Richie's idea or Richie... Richie mostly funded it. Why? Yeah, why? Why? <laughs> when was that established? Is, is Why is... Richie is the one we know so little about, and all of a sudden he's the, the prime benefactor to this bike fund. And you're like, what, why? Why camera. is he doing this? Huh? What do you think it's a bike? It's a camera. <laughs> is it? Did I make up bike? Sorry, camera. Why Richie? I know nothing about Richie apart from that he make, he does voices. For me, it was the fact that it's so, like you said, one, it, it this scene is only annoying for me because none of the other kids got their resolution. <laughs> so we get to cut to a scene where every kid is giving, is saying, well, we chipped in to get you a camera. Like you said, Mike's mm. father's just died. He's going through a traumatic time. You know, also, like you said, Beverly, Beverly still has got the whole thing with her dad. And yet she's like cheerily waving him off, being like, everything's fine now. I don't know why them chipping in to buy him a camera bothered me so much. No, it did. It bothered me too, because it was like you said, it's like he went through something special. And I guess, yeah, okay, his brother died. But but like they all had this traumatic time. And for some reason, he's being singled out as getting a reward. Exactly. Yeah. Meanwhile, particularly Beverly is 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 now got a hellish life in front of her for a while. She doesn't get to move out. She's 13, but that's just completely unaddressed. Yeah. And she's their muse. Why do none of them care? So, uh, <laughs> just going through them, Ben doesn't really get his resolution because that's obviously going to come in the next film for some reason because the thing with Beverly is never resolved. No. Mike is resolved because obviously, well, his father died, but he's 
I suppose that's the end of his arc, just because his father died. Richie didn't have any arc to begin with. Eddie, I mean, he stood up to his mum earlier, but there's no follow-through on that. His arc's already done, isn't it? Because he's, because he stood up to his mum and he started making decisions for himself. Yeah, but he's still got to go home, and that's going to be awkward. <laughs> oh, I'm willing to accept Eddie's Eddie's finished. Like, okay. Eddie's arc is done. But uh, And then Stan, he had his bar mitzvah, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's mainly Beverly. Beverly is the main one here that yes, just that's... feels so... Yeah. Got a disproportionate amount of emphasis placed on her home life compared to how little it's addressed. Yeah. Like, that is still a massive question mark that's left hanging. Like, what is happening there? Because as you said, the bar mitzvah, okay, he's, he's had his bar mitzvah. That's something of a conclusion, but it also wasn't that big a deal. Yeah. Well, they, they leave it immediately. Like, they don't go to the... I assume there's an after-party for bar mitzvahs. I've seen the thing with the chair. And Eddie's thing with his mother wasn't... Apart from for a brief period in the script, wasn't that much of an emphasis. No one's problem was that much of an emphasis, apart from Beverly's, which is definitely a big thing. And it's just completely ignored. Then you have the thing with the bully as well. Like, Travis has next to no resolution. Well, Travis is arrested, I suppose, but... Again, it just... He comes back. I know that he comes back in the adults segment. It doesn't feel like a conclusion. It feels like you said like a half conclusion. Anyway, they drive away and then the camera tracks up and there's a balloon and it pops in front of the screen. Wow. The end. When I, when you first said, oh, it was around two thirds of the way through where it really lost me, I was like, ah, was it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, we didn't have any problems, really. No. We were just profusely positive and then <laughs> until they went into the sewers yeah well it for me it hit me when we were talking through this and after the bit the flashback with the guy and the axe and everything after we talked about that i realized there's nothing that i'm particularly looking forward to talking about now yeah that's the, that's the last bit that i re- that i wanted to talk about and now it's an obligation to get through the ending I think again, it's like you said, it's 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 stuck with the source material. Yeah. You have to completely change this ending. It doesn't fit with the rest of the film. Uh, it just feels rushed compared to everything else. That's the one thing that I think it changed for the worse is that when they go in to the sewers, both book and the eighties film, they fight Pennywise in fairly grounded circumstances. There is some drip feed introduction of the fantasy world elements but that doesn't come in until when they go back as adults but because this film needs a conclusion conclusion to its because it's going to be cut in half it can't end on a sort of we kind of beat it see you next year it it needs to move some of that stuff over here and because of that it feels rushed it is such a massive shift and it's i prefer a supernatural reasoning over a logical reasoning like it was like it was just it was a gas that was Affecting the whole town it was none of that rubbish, but mm. at the same time, an interdimensional being that that purely arrives as a clown in this one town every twenty eight years—it's mm. just—it's not. There's nothing smart about it's it. It's not scary. In the book, I I vaguely understand. I I feel like I am at a disadvantage with Stephen King stuff because I haven't read The Dark Tower, and I know that The Dark Tower is like the thing that connects a lot of this universe stuff. Because I believe that Pennywise comes from a dimension that is described in the Dark Tower, and that the Dark Tower kind of explains it better. But at the same time, 
fuck it, I'd rather have no explanation than this sort of vague... I mean, I'm, I, I know they come to the conclusion of exactly what it is in the adult half, but we already kind of get that it's an interdimensional being from this half, don't we? Well, there is there is also the there is the interdimensional stuff in the first half, from what I remember from the Wikipedia. So I'm either going to sound like a complete moron here, or from what I remember, is that so Pennywise is effectively almost like a devil character in this interdimensional space. God in this interdimensional space is a giant flying turtle. Wait, what? Is this? Is this? Are you making this up? Or oh, oh, wait, wait, I know that in the in the um, the other film he is. Basically, it's just like extraterrestrial or extra-dimensional being has come here, and that's it. What the the space turtle though is completely news to me. If this is true, it's the space turtle. So the space turtle is it's Pennywise's mortal enemy. Wh- where are you getting this from? Wikipedia. It's a it's real, and I um, I sure as hell hope that this is what's going to happen in the film. If there's a space turtle, I will forgive it of all criticism. The space turtle comes to Bill, not Will, it comes to Will in a vision and explains that Will has to... Okay, shall I explain? Shall I read the Wikipedia for you verbatim so you won't think I'm an idiot? If anyone's read the book, could you please confirm if this is what happened? Also, you're going you're gonna to think I made this up. So, Right. Bill then discovers the ritual of Chud. The ritual <laughs> of Chud. <laughs> An ancient ritual that allows him to enter the macroverse where it originated. Bill encounters Matarin, or the turtle, the creator of the universe and the natural enemy of it, who further explains its origins. Sorry, one minute, one minute, one minute. I, I, this is confusing enough as you explain it to me. I'm trying to imagine this in a book being described. I, I cannot fathom how this can be true. I believe you, because it's also the same book that decided to have a child orgy to give kids strength to free themselves. So I completely believe that this is something that could happen. But I just, I'm speechless. The giant turtle was not a thing that I was aware of. Uh, Also, so in the second half of the novel, when the losers fate it once again, this is from the Stephen King Wikipedia, uh, when the losers face it once again as adults, it tells Bill that the turtle is dead. And that he had choked to death on a galaxy. <laughs> and so, um, no. so, do you know what the ritual of Chud is, by the way? No, no I don't know what the ritual. You, you of don't Chud know is. the ritual of Chud. Well, it's how they defeat it in the book. <laughs> it's, it's. I'm not kidding. So, in the book, the kid confronts it. With a psychic battle. Oh my god. Unexplained psychic child is another Stephen King trope. Unexplained psychic child. The ritual is a psych... The ritual of Chud. <laughs> so... <laughs> Fucking hell. It's a psychic battle in which two forces duel with their wits. The children believe that the metal silver has supernatural abilities, as seen in numerous monster movies. Because the children believe it... It becomes real and is a chief weapon used in the ritual. Because Beverly Marsh is good with a slingshot, they injure it the first time when Beverly shoots a chunk of silver into its skull. The group think they killed it, but they can't be sure, so they make a pact to return to Derry whenever it returns. It was finally destroyed in the second ritual of Chud by the <laughs> by the adult Bill. There is no quotes for what happens in this ritual of Chud. That's on the official Stephen King Wikipedia. 
I have no idea what happens in this ritual of Chud. Well, do you see what I mean then about how this ending needs to be quite significantly changed? Because if Pennywise starts talking about how it, the giant space turtle choked on a galaxy and then the kids, do, uh, the grown-ups do the ritual of Chud, I think it will lose quite a few members of the audience. Okay, so the ritual... <laughs> Sorry. I'm Stop just, I'm just saying get- the ritual of Chud. <laughs> I'm getting lost in the Stephen King wiki. So the turtle appears in It... The Wastelands, Songs of Susanna, The Dark Tower, and eleven twenty two sixty three. Apparently, that's the James Franco one. And of course, uh, the tar- the the turtle. Okay. <laughs> the turtle is one of the twelve guardians of the beams that hold up the Dark Tower. Obviously. Do you think that this stuff could be coming if they are planning on secretly connecting it to the Dark Tower? Because you know how they like to do secret shared universes now. And it's a big deal. The shared un- cinematic universe is a thing. Do you think that this could actually happen? I'm I'm googling right now to see if it's the same production company. <laughs> it genuinely, if it is, that's what they're doing. We've gone from I bet this is going to be in the top ten of the year to <laughs> to googling if it's going to have a giant space turtle. <laughs> <laughs> It's not off the table, but it's not. It's they are by different companies. They are by different production companies. So the 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 Dark Tower is by Sony Pictures. Mm. But Sony, no, it's Sony. They could do it. They did it with Spider Man. Oh yeah, that because that really went full steam ahead. <laughs> no, I mean they moved in over to Marvel. That's true. That is true. Whereas uh, it is New Line Cinema, and Vertigo. Literally, there's no overlap on any of the production companies or distributors. So I would say that it's fully, fully confirmed. No space turtle. I'm not. I'm not sure. I, I'm. I'm. I'm honestly frightened. Do you think we should check if it has a post-credit scene? Oh no, no, that, that that's not out yet. <laughs> can you imagine? Can you imagine if like you watch this whole film and it's relatively grounded, and then everyone's sat in their seats, and all of a sudden, as the post-credit the lights come back on, the post-credit scene, and a giant space turtle just <laughs> flies past the camera. But it is just it is such a such a leap, such a bizarre. Massive leap that this 12-year-old kid trying to stop an evil clown then has to look to the creator of the universe, a turtle. (laughs) And the ritual of Chud. (laughs) And the ritual of Chud. It is called the ritual of Chud. I'll tell you what, this, this one thing this discussion has given me is a genuine desire to read this 1,200 page book. To, to see how, how, you know, whether or not it sows the seeds of this, you know, if it slowly builds to the giant space turtle reveal, or if it is as abrupt as I imagine it to be, like, in the middle of this small-scale horror story, out of nowhere, it is revealed that this is a cosmic entity fighting... Sorry. ...fighting another giant cosmic entity that is a turtle. Right, I'm trying to find out how... because it's, it's, it's called Chud. But Chud, the U, is an umlaut. So I'm looking up how okay. to pronounce German on YouTube so I can actually... <laughs> I really don't care how, how to pronounce, pronounce the ritual of Chud. Three vowels in the German language have an umlaut. A, O, and U. U. So it's... A so it's, it's chewed. It's chewed. <laughs> <laughs> so it's... it's so it's... The, 
the ritual of Jude. Oh my god. Are some examples of words with an umlaut. I just want to. Brüder. Yeah, it's ooh. So it's chewed. Chewed. <laughs> oh no. Well, let's hope, to, to get back to the script, let's hope none of this happens. I don't know. It chewed. <laughs> okay, so right. script, script, final, final thoughts. Quite good. <laughs> and then it goes off the rails. Yeah. Not as off the rails as it sounds like the book goes, but off the rails all the same. Com- compared to... No, compared to the book, this is very grounded. (laughs) This is social realism. There's no, like, they don't stop on the 4th of July to suddenly mind meld with a space turtle. (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty to the point. It is funny now that the idea that the writer wanted to put in a sex scene with a goat, that's actually less bizarre than the <laughs> stuff that happens in the book. But this is such a weird... I thought this was going to be a really short one where we just talk positively and then that's it. But this is the longest by far. This is the longest video we've ever done. This is almost three hours of recording. Maybe we should split it into two parts. <laughs> one part that's one part that's relatively on topic, and then the second part where we bring in the space turtle. That's so it is basically exactly like the book. Then <laughs> that's what we should do. <laughs> I don't think we have to wrap up anything else. I mean, uh, like I said, I'm I'm still looking forward to this. I still think that if it came out as it is now in the script, it, top ten of the year, I'd say films most enjoyably. I think. And all the characters, I really liked all the characters. I'm not looking mm. forward to a second film, still, regardless no. of how much I liked the first two-thirds of this, or like four-fifths more like of this. I just can't be bothered to do another film, and especially a film that's guaranteed, practically, to be worse than this. Not if it has... Not if it goes full-on with the space turtle. <laughs> if it goes that direction, I'll love it. I just, oh. Can you imagine, like... Like, this is the part, the point where Stephen King's publisher stopped telling him no. <laughs> like, 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 this, it is the moment when the publisher just went, go for it, whatever you want. Do you reckon the publisher just read, like, the first 200 pages and was like, this is really great. I'm sure the whole thing's like that. <laughs> I'm sure that it's, 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 gi- the, as long as there's no mystical giant turtle or a child orgy, this is a guaranteed hit. And why on earth would anyone put those two things into this horror story? <laughs> what a specific publisher. <laughs> like, imagine if they read any other book and then said it was really great up until it got to the child orgy and the space turtle. And the ritual of Chud. And the ritual of Chud. Chud. Could you look like? Imagine if you like got up to like the end of Insidious or something like that, and then you said it was great until the space turtle came in. <laughs> Can you imagine giving him notes? <laughs> like he, he shows you his first draft and goes, "Okay, uh, this is the manuscript. Be be honest. Be honest. Okay." So Stephen, there were a couple of things that you might want to reconsider. Just a couple. Really? What were they? Uh, is it obvious what those two things might be? No. Is it? Is it the? Is it, is it the bit 
with the with the mummy. No, honestly, no. It's not the mummy. It's the mummy's fine. I really don't know what it could be. Just like that, Stephen instantly assumes that the mummy's the big problem. He's just like, yeah, I went a bit. I pushed the boat out a bit with that mummy. <laughs> that might have been a little too far. I'll admit that, but but as long as the rest of it's fine, yeah. Yeah, well, just just have a look at the notes. Just have a look at the notes. The, 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 they should be fine. I just realised I've done this whole bit without the headphones. Oh, okay. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. It's already a mess. That's what Steve. That's that's how Stephen King did. He wrote the whole thing. And went. I just realised I added in the space. Oh, I'll be fine. <laughs> it's one thousand two hundred pages, and I really cannot be bothered to change the whole thing in light of the turtle. So you know what? Fuck it. I'm sending it to the publisher. I am like very. Very, you know, sorely tempted to read the book now, just to understand. Just because it's so vague in every every article, it's vague. Yeah, I I want to know if it's if it is just that vague, or if people just don't understand it themselves, so they can't write anything. <laughs> so, if by any stretch of the imagination, someone has listened this far, firstly, bravo, bravo indeed, <laughs> and secondly, I think. What are we doing next? Because we've had suggestions at this point. We've on our alien engineers video, we had a fair few people comment with, with, with requests, which is great, and that's kind of what we've been hoping for. But obviously, we kind of have to decide what order we're doing these things in. And I know you wanted to do Death Note at some point. Death Note, I still want to. I kind of want to do the similar thing that you did with it this time, where you watched. Mm. So you watched the old film. So the problem with yeah. Death Note is that there is the TV show, there is the film, there's a sequel film, which I, has got nothing to do with the original book. I'm not reading the book. Mm. Death Note has been adapted so many times. There's a musical. Fuck me. Do you think we could do an It musical? <laughs> Imagine a musical number where they all start floating on balloons at the end. You know, like like at the end of the of the introductionary number. Like, they all start singing. You mean, like, Mary Poppins style? But yeah, they all float up on balloons at the end, and that's the big crescendo for the for the overture. That w- I would pay to see that. I think that the next one will either be Alien 3 or The Island of Dr. Moreau. Okay, so should we, should we, should we make an executive decision here so that people know what's next? Is it, is it Moreau or is it Alien 3? Should we do Moreau? Because Alien, Alien, we just did Alien, like you said. Okay, Moreau. Moreau? Moreau. There you go. Okay, so, so next is Doctor, uh, The Island of Dr. Moreau by St- Richard Stanley and Michael Herr. Thank you very much for listening. I can't believe someone would get this far. Ah, they made it to the end of the other ones. What was that? <laughs> <laughs> I told you it would get more incoherent and babbly as it went on to the point where it's not in English. I said they got to the end of the other one. Okay, true, but people actually... Oh, no, people like it just as much as they like Alien, almost. Yeah. And people might be interested. Yeah, if you want to if you want to hear any other ones, you can leave suggestions in the comments below. This is... Not only is it a podcast, if you're listening just audio, it is also on YouTube, uh, on our channel, mm-hmm. Real Opinions. Yeah, leave comments on there if you want to hear anything else, or if you have any thoughts on the script at all. No, uh, except leave suggestions. Leave more suggestions, because I think that's better than us deciding. Cool. Right, well, thank you very much for listening. <laughs> Sorry if you did make this far. And, uh, yeah, see you next time. Bye. Oh, good one. <laughs>